Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. We're back with another episode. Uh, we just did King Kong, which is maybe one of the most important genre films of all time. And we thought we'd follow up with another film I like, but it possibly might not be one of the most important genre films of all time. Uh, we're going to do Abbott and Costello Meet the Killer, Boris Karloff. Originally titled Abbott and Costello Meet the Killers, plural, they dropped the S and added Boris Karloff when they, when they added him at the last minute. Um, it's, uh, it's a film I kind of grew up watching uh, and enjoying on Saturday morning, on Sunday mornings, I should say, on WPTT 22 in Pittsburgh. Uh, and for this episode, I've invited back David Allman, uh, who you guys heard on the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde 1931 uh, uh, recording uh, episode we did a few weeks ago uh, to talk about this one. And this is he's kind of new to this film. Hey, David. Hey, nice to be back. Good to have you back. Um, yeah, so so I'm interested in hearing like uh, I'm interested in how how much of my enjoyment of this film is is mixed in with uh, 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 y- you know you know like a childhood memory like you know nostalgia I guess I'm trying to say and how much of it is based on you know actual the quality and, <laughs> and enjoyability of the film. So we will see. <laughs> All right, guys. Abner Costello, Meet the Killer, Boris Karloff, 1941. Uh, it takes place at a place called the Crandall Lost Caverns Hotel. And guests who are arriving uh, for the uh, for a meeting with uh, at the, or about the it's about the memoirs of a of a famous uh, defense attorney. Uh, people start dying one by one. And the hotel detective teams up with a clumsy bellboy to solve the mystery. And I guess you can probably figure out who plays who in that scenario. Um <laughs> It does star Bud Abbott as Casey Edwards, the hotel detective. Lou Costello as Freddie Phillips. Boris Karloff uh, is credited as Swami Tauper, a Swami. Uh, Lenore Albert, who uh, we know from Abbott and to Meet Frankenstein, of course, uh, plays Angela Gordon. And then there's a bevy of, uh, you know, kind of character actors playing all these, uh, you know, it, it, it plays. Here's my thing, David. One thing is I, I, this, it plays a bit like Clue. Oh, I yeah. Think, which yeah. is kind of fun, right? I mean, you know, because it starts with one killing and then it goes into all these other killings. And it's this question of like, who's doing all the killings? And it takes place in a confined space that's kind of remote, right? You know? Yeah. Um, it is, uh, it was there, it was the, tw- the Button Abbott, uh, Babbitt and Abbott's 25th film together Whoa. in like nine years, right? So oh they were really cranking them out. They were, um, they had up until pretty recently been a very huge deal in uh, in Hollywood. In fact, a few a few years in a row, they were ranked as the Hollywood's number one stars. Uh, starting with Buck Privates in 1941, they did a whole series of war films and they did a whole bunch of other things. They, um, it pretty early on, they figured out this bit where they realized that when Lou Costello's character was afraid of something, it was funny. And they, <laughs> uh, they discovered that on a film called Hold That Ghost, uh, with an exclamation point at the end, uh, which is quite fun. Hopefully we'll do it on the podcast. And then um, obviously it came really into play in 1948's 
Abner Costello meet Frankenstein. Um, we haven't talked about that on the, I'm saving that one for a while because it's, it's, that's a big one for me. Yes, I, sir. <laughs> I don't know even how I'm going to tackle that. That's going to be like a four part episode. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, it's their seventh and final film directed uh, by their long-term collaborator, Charles T. Barton. He directed uh, many of their films, including Abner Costello meet Frankenstein. And, and he's credited as sort of, uh, being almost the best director that they, the best team uh, that they worked with, uh, these two, and then uh, Charles Barn. Um, and it's written by John Grant, among others. John Grant, I think, worked on um, the, uh, the 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 Frankenstein film as well. Uh, comes out in 1949, a year after Frankenstein. Um, so. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to get started on this. I mean, I guess we can just go right into the film. Well, I, I want to talk a little bit more about about your connection to it because I I okay. had never seen this one, uh, and actually I had only ever seen uh, Meet Frankenstein w- once, which I think is oh, unusual okay. for a, a fan of my sort of uh, right caliber is not the right word, but like I watch you but know these course. movies all the time, the Universal films, the monster the films, like yeah. every year, all that. But somehow, yeah. when I was young and was forming those connections myself, the Abbott and Costello one I was aware of, but never had opportunity to see which i sounds a little bit different if i'm remembering correctly from the the dr jekyll and mr hyde um or abbott and costello meet dr right yeah i heard a little bit then about you know how you grew up seeing these movies but maybe you could tell me a little bit more about that and because i remember so i just listened to that and you're like this one is my maybe my favorite almost anyway i want to know more about yeah yeah, it's up there I, i i have trouble quantifying but i do think this i might enjoy this film i'm not talking about the quality of the film i'm talking about my personal enjoyment of the film um i think i think next to frankenstein this might be one of my favorites just because it's you don't have the investment first of all of one of the major universal monsters in it right so it's not like i know there's there's a percentage of of listeners um and a percentage of the population of the fan base or whatever you want to call it, that they really do believe that these, a lot of these Adam Costello meet the monster films sort of denigrate the monsters, um, cheapen them, uh, make them jokes, make them. And, and, and Boris Karloff felt that at the time uh, before mm. he, before uh, Frankenstein, he didn't, he thought they were going to mock the monster and he cared about uh, Frankenstein's monsters too much. And he decided not to, to, he chose not to be in the film. I love um, that about And I don't him. know if he ever <laughs> regretted that or, or not. Oh, <laughs> or was, yeah. He, that would have been nice a good decision. for us. <laughs> it would have been pretty late for him to play the monster, although he did put on the, the, the costume a few more times after this. Um, uh, anyway, so because it doesn't, it's not Abin Costello meet the mummy, Abin Costello meet Dark Trickman's Tried, Abin Costello meet Invisible Man. It, it doesn't affect that those those individual franchises for me as much it's not like if you because if you rent if you get all the the blu-rays or the regular dvds or whatever of all the universal monsters and you get the the individual ones right like the dracula legacy the the frankenstein legacy the the wolfman legacy they have all the series of films right they'll have wolfman frankenstein meets the wolfman house of frankenstein house dracula and and then they all end with abner costello meet frankenstein because that's really the last legitimate prime appearance of almost all these monsters oh yeah and and so it's this it's this sort of strange button on the end of the legacy of all these characters this one especially first of all it's hilarious because they they credit boris karloff as boris karloff it's it's not that they it's not called abner costello meet the evil swami it's called abner costello meet boris karloff because obviously universal knew karloff was a name and they could attach him to it they had better chance because because 
and here's the other thing. And I was just having a great conversation with someone on, on the Instagram uh, page for for uh, Borgo Pass. I'm blanking on who I was talking to. I'm sorry. Um, if this is you, then then thank you for this conversation because it really was interesting. Um, this this fan of the show and the films, obviously, had a sort of a negative take on these films. Um, that did. I remember when I was younger in the 80s or so, a 90s. Um, these films were generally considered not trash, but just they, they weren't respected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's recently maybe that's changing a little bit, possibly. Uh, here's my take, and, and, and I'll just get into this really quick before we get into the film. Um, Abner and Costello's Abner and Costello in 1949 were not Abner and Costello in 1941. Um, they they were on their 25th film at this point. They're their career has has crested and is now starting to wane a bit mm. um to put it in, in a context um uh costello had had rheumatic fever in the mid 40s at some point and was like unable to do anything for months I mean, not just like you know he wasn't just it wasn't the flu he was down for months and he really i think had health problems ever after that and obviously he was not the skinniest guy so who knows if what other issues he was dealing with that had connection to that um his son had also drowned mm. uh in the mid 40s in a kind of a tragic accident his his son uh, drowned in, in their swimming pool um so luke costello the the, the general stories and I, i'm no abner costello expert there are those guys out there and women out there please please you know consult with them if if, if you're really looking for the gospel of the story of their of their careers but what i will say my impression is luke costello in 1949 was not as much fun to work with as he had been earlier in his career to, in, in their, in their, uh, uh, in their, uh, stage career, in their radio career. Um, he had changed L- life had changed him a little bit, but Abbott, um, was, he suffered from epilepsy and he was also what I think we would now call a, a chronic alcoholic. Uh, he, he, he had, he had like, extreme uh, acute alcoholism and i think to some degree that was him self-medicating himself for the for the epilepsy but that was also affecting him too so so there was a combination of like i think that the audiences were a little tired of abbott and costello's bits because while they're funny let's be honest they kind of had a thing they did and that was it like it wasn't (laughs) And 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 look, anything after twenty five films is going to get old. I'm sorry, like it, and as funny as it can be, you can only recycle these bits so many times. So so yeah. so they were in need of a fresh whatever. Um, they were still too big at this point for Universal to, um, uh, they, they sort of had Universal where they wanted them, uh, the studio because because they did generate so much revenue for the studio. They were so they're still so popular. Um, but. But their their star was waning, and they were becoming, I think, from what I've read, a little more difficult to deal with. They, to be honest, they, they were sort of becoming pains in the ass. They <laughs> they didn't like rehearsing a whole lot. Um, I think maybe Bud Abbott was starting to have a little bit of trouble with, mem- with memorization, and and oh. a lot of their bits deal with dialogue. There there's oh, physical yeah. stuff, but there's a lot of dialogue stuff. Um, and I think uh, Luke Costello, to one degree. This through life experience and bad circumstances and stuff was becoming uh, kind of belligerent uh, to, <laughs> to deal with as far as from the studio and from directors and stuff. I know they gave directors a hard time. I know uh, their, their, their films went over schedule. 
uh, over budget and, and whatnot. So anyway, that's that's sort of the brief history of where Abbott and Costello is here at 1949. Um, the studios, other, the other issue is that, you know, the studios had shut down their, their, their horror section. By, by 1948, they weren't making anything anymore. The, the Invisible Man franchise had closed down. Uh, they, they wrapped up the mummy. They wrapped up all these things. They have yet to go get into Creature from the Black Lagoon. We're a few years away from that. But that's, that's a universal international creation. This is this is Universal International in the early years of their of their merger with with Universal in forty six I think, um, uh, and and Universal at that point wasn't too interested in doing the monsters. They wanted to do more prestige stuff. The management wanted to do uh, less B B pictures, more A pictures. Um, but that funny thing happened with with Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, where it was just a smash hit, and it, it they found this amazing mix of of you know horrors and frights and and laughs and really realized what a lot of us now realize is that that you know horror and comedy are kind of two two sides of the same coin yeah um they both it's both a, a reaction that's elicited um in the audience and has to be done right and it's all based on timing and it's all based on you know you know the, the pacing and everything delivery um whether it's a build up to a joke or whether it's a monster stalking somebody through through the woods or whatever. Um so they they finished this thing. So so to wrap it up, we will get in the film right now guys, but I'm t- I'm trying to answer kind of in a roundabout way what you're asking me David is like I think I think they've stumbled on something special here and and this is still uh Meet the Killer Boris Karloff is is still Abner Costello uh and director Barton um, and Universal really tight on the reins of the comedy and the pacing and the the, the laughs and the frights uh, of, of this kind of film. And to be honest, by the time we do get to uh, meet Jekyll and Hyde and meet the mummy and stuff, that started to loosen up a little bit. And there's long stretches of this movie that can honestly get a little tiresome. Can mm. They just aren't punching at, at, at their full strength, right? Yeah. Let's just say yeah. that. Um, um, this one, I th- I think this film rocks on it's it it never bores you there's there's a, a funny bit or a scary bit every it, the pacing is really fun and the settings neat i think the end is is really neat and and, and exciting oh yeah for, that cave stuff film. you know great it's, it's yeah it's shot beautifully shot very noirish and stuff and the story is just really fun and, and unique the character the they don't get too caught up in their bits you know like sometimes an Abbott Costello film will not just the monster films any of them We'll we'll just stop it dead in its tracks, and Abner Costello will do a bit from way back in their radio or 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 a uh, or a stage era, and it's like the story stops, so you can do do the bit about the shovel and the pick, and the the, 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 and then the pick <laughs> is my pick, and shovels your pick, you know, all that stuff, um, and then the movie starts again, kind of. You're like, okay, <laughs> it's like, all right. Um, uh, I I just think this one rocks. So so I did. I grew up watching. They would show these movies uh, every. Sunday on WPTT 22 in Pittsburgh. So I was old enough that, that, that they were, you know, on television and, and this is before I, I home video came around when I was in about third or fourth grade. So when I was pretty young, like first, second, third grade, this is the closest I was going to get to any of these monster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They didn't really show those much. So this is like, this was my, to wrap it up, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> um, I've been to it. Everyone's just fast forward ten seconds. Fast forward ten seconds. Fast forward ten seconds. Um, oh no, uh, they better on, not on their, on their podcast. <laughs> um, uh, um, 
this this is my uh this this is my starter drug right yeah for, for i think that's the, important Universal monsters this is what got me hooked and and that's what you know I, I still hold it very dear and and i still um and i do love and while i'm in costello aren't my total favorite comedians in the world i can't remember really the last time i watched one of their films that didn't involve one of the monsters um i do think that this mix that that they had just 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 worked and stuff and um i think this film also it for all of these universal you know meet the monsters films this one might be the actual scariest this one might actually have those moments where you're kind of like geez mm, that's yeah the guy at the end in the spoilers, yes. we'll get to it. They the rain slicker <laughs> and stuff like that. It's like I could see that guy in a modern film, like that that outfit, like the it's like the Gordon's fisherman gone wrong, right? I mean, it's I could, yeah, I could, it's super creepy. I would to this day. That. That's really yeah, and and this this cavern setting they have and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. anyway, that that's my my long winded answer to you, David. Yeah, well, I, I no, just, thank um, you. Yeah. I think that's really I I have to imagine for films this old, you know, some of these almost a hundred years old, that that people even you know that that are and i don't know i think that our connection to them our initial ones when we were younger are really key to like how we engage with them throughout our lives like I, so right. that's why i'm curious about that and i'd be curious to hear that from any other uh fellow um fan all the borgo passengers out there you know i'm a listener and fan of the podcast as well and so uh if you can find me online i'd love to know like which was the first you know one of the films you saw and what yeah. was your connection to it my i i i've heard that story similarly about people from the sort of the northeast of, of the of the u.s like seeing it in abbott and costello first because of these mm -hmm. kind of packages on television and i think i'm just just a few years younger than you not many like i don't okay. think we had to go to high school together you know but pretty close right right and uh my I, my connection was also through TV. I grew up in the Cleveland area, and the Fox affiliate out there, um, when that network first started, uh, WOIO uh, 19, it was out there. And they got the the package to show all the Universal films so the, in, like, 1987, 88, and they were showing them, like, oh, on Halloween. Cool. And, and they had a midnight matinee show uh, on 1130 on Saturdays called Frank and Drac, and it was, like... Uh, and it was a, a guy who did a Dracula kind of impression and a guy who did a Frankenstein's monster, but he, he talked real high like this. And uh, <laughs> which is okay. Yeah. And it's a legitimate choice. That was my, that was my, and I, I mentioned when I was on last time that I got the Crestwood house monster books and uh, yeah. I was aware of some of the stories through that and uh, other kids books that I could find. And, and there were some, some home videos before like the, the silver top series, you know, that you could buy and own, but I, I could find some of them to rent. And, but otherwise I saw them every week on Frank and Drac and they showed them like in the chronological order of the series. And so it was like one of the first sort of chronologies I followed as well. Um, nice. But so that, that is why my primary connection is to those primary monsters because I was shown their story arcs in sequence when I was like eight right. or nine. And, uh, and I didn't see Abbott and Costello at all until one of my rewatches, like every so often I'll start and go through kind of in order. And, and this year or two years ago, I started to start with the silent era and really expand it and see a lot of new oh, ones. Cool. And yeah. so... Anyway, but that you're talking yeah. you're talking about the Universal Monsters classic collection is the one you, you call the Silver Top. Yes, yeah, series. Yeah. I've never heard it called that. I love that. I'm going to use that. Oh I, yeah, I mean, is that a thing that we called it that? Maybe okay, cool. I don't know. I've heard it the called Silver that. And uh, I I I don't have like a ton of them, but that's my favorite yeah. to this day. I just love the art direction of those and the 
yeah the see them lined up on a on a well you I can see on my behind me they're there but i think yeah, there's an there, abbott yeah, costello presence in some of the later pressings of those right I, it's it's in i'm yeah i'm looking at it right now i i have the frankenstein one i had the mummy Mavis Color Meet the Mummy. I don't know what happened. I've lost a few of them through many moves, um, but I've still got about a dozen of them. And I'm looking at them right now. Yeah, with the silver tops and everything. But that was that was how I saw most of these films. Like I don't think I'd seen The Raven, right? Ever, yeah, before, before that series and stuff. So and or or Ghost of Frankenstein. You know, some of the more you know the latter ones are the ones that were a little bit off the the, the, the main the main the main uh, uh, thing. So, all right. Guys, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about the movie. <laughs> yeah, we got about eighty minutes of film to get through now. So here we go. No, this is great. Um, it's great. It's great chatting with you about this. Um, again, uh, yeah, nineteen forty nine. They were gonna call it uh, Meet the Killers. Uh, the S was dropped um, also because of I can't remember whether studio was coming out with a film called The Killers at the time, and so there was uh, an agreement made that they were, they weren't, or it would come out, I think maybe two or three years earlier. And usually studios uh, have this kind of tacit agreement that they're not going to come out with films with very similar titles, um, uh, close to other studios having a same title. There was, there was a couple years ago, as an example, this is a couple years ago when Rogue One came out through Disney, uh, the Star Wars film, um, and there was going to be Paramount was going to come out with a Mission Impossible film called Rogue Nation or something like that. They they had to sort of figure out if that was going to be okay that they were going to release two films with Rogue in the title because I don't think it's in any studio's interest to have their film confused for another film. Yeah. Either either way, it works both ways. So yeah, that's um, that is at least my understanding. Um, uh. uh Costello did, as I was saying before, he'd had rheumatic fever and he had some health issues during the filming of the film too, which is kind of amazing because he's, he does a lot of physical stuff too. There's a lot of running and sliding and jumping. I know there's a lot of that, all of that is his stunt guy, but um, uh, yeah, but it's still, you know, a lot of the pratfalls and the hits and, and everything yeah. he, he's going with it. Um, um, and like I said, it has a noticeably darker tone than a lot of the other Amin Costello Meet the monster movies. There's there's a lot of dead bodies in it. There's a lot of very gallows humor. Um, so much uh, like you know uh, plays on the word dead and stiff and yeah, all yeah. that stuff. Well, the constantly. whole the whole bit, and we'll get to it. The whole bit with like the card game where they're playing with dead men and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that is just really it's dark. And I wonder if like, and this is just me hypothesizing, but I wonder if they were both in both Adam and Costa were in a place where they were in like interested in pushing things and going a little darker i don't know like maybe you know they had this reputation as, as making kitty movies kind of mm. and i don't know if either either of them appreciated that like i i think they wanted to push things just just like any artist right they want to push yeah. things a little bit and and see see how far you can get and get away with it i i think so um we begin with uh, a little animated, <laughs> to speaking of, a little animated uh, title sequence yeah. where Abner Costello, these, their animated avatars, basically, are, are on a platform painting a wall with the title, and they're painting it with a bucket of human blood, which just yeah. is like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how that works with, with the good guys using a bucket of blood to paint something, but okay. whatever. <laughs> and then a, a kind of a gas or a machine gun, uh, types in the, the meet the killer part. They, they do their names and meet the killer and stuff. And then we have our, our whole list of, of beautiful animated credits. I think this is about the, you know, there's that amazing animated opening of Abin Kelso and Frankenstein a year before this. 
and they had these in in some of the several other films before this um i think after this they go straight to just their sort of like still image cards mm-hmm. uh i think this might have been the last time they they sprung for uh for an animated universal sprung for an animated uh title uh, thing um uh, I, the film's shot by by Charles Van Enger, who uh, shot Abbott and Costume Franklin. He shot Night Monster. He shot Last of the Mohicans, Universal. I mean, there were real serious artists making these films, even though they were comedies, is, was my point. And I think that kind of went away a little bit, too, with Barton and, and whatever exiting the, yeah. the series. I don't want to belabor the point, but I do just want to ask you, because... Uh, so in most of the press materials, even the, the oldest ones, and if you look up the movie online, all this, it's always meet the killer, comma... Boris Karloff. Yes. But when you're just watching the credits, it it almost plays like it's a it's a special credit for Boris Karloff, like, you know, putting your probably biggest star. You know, it's like they yes. kind of pan down from that animation and it's full screen, there's no comma. I don't I just w- wanted to know yeah. if you knew anything about that or had thoughts about it. <laughs> I I don't. My suspicion would be that when they added when when they dropped the S in the killers Abbott and Costa Meet the Killer maybe didn't have the punch that it just seems kind of generic and vanilla. Um, and then when they got Boris Karloff, I think there was just this idea of like, why don't we just, someone in the studio was just like, let's just put his name in the title. Why not? Oh, it's, yeah. Yeah. As far as I can, anybody, anybody, by the way, f- jump jump in on, on when you hear listening to this episode, jump in on the social media and correct me. It's the only title of a film I can think of that has a comma in it. It's very not, yeah. it's very not usual. Uh, speak for for film titles colons sometimes right (laughs) you know usually not a semicolon definitely not a comma it's very it's 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 visual it's visually uh an odd thing to to see a comma (laughs) in a film title so you know i mean even like bella gosi meets a brooklyn gorilla like they just have it all (laughs) as a sentence you know right (laughs) you know it's not bella gosi comma and a brooklyn it's 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 always a, a a full statement there's never um they never break it in the into are those clauses or phrases i'm not sure it's yeah. been a long time since grammar school. It says the published <laughs> author. Um, right. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. It almost seems like an um, accident. Like it just like somebody messed up somewhere and then it just kind of stuck. Almost, it almost seems, it almost seems like, yeah, it's like, it's like the, uh, the 33 on the back of the rolling rock bottle or something like someone, <laughs> someone just didn't do their job right. And, yeah. and now it became a thing. You never, it's, it's entirely possible that at the speed they were cranking these things out with, it's entirely possible. Yeah. Um, uh, we start on a rainy night uh, with some cars passing a sign that, that uh, says it's uh, this is the way to the Crandall's Lost Caverns Hotel, um, which I guess we're led to understand is is um, in California. They, they do mention, they reference in the film that they're, they're in California, um, but is obviously somewhere in a slightly remote area outside of town or something, uh, like a getaway, and, and possibly was connected to these caverns at one time, or there were springs or something. I, 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 maybe I'm just mentally filling that in, but um the 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 caverns themselves now are are closed but it is just this this pretty luxury hotel at the time um for the era um uh there's a bunch of newspaper men gathered in the lobby um in their fedoras and their everything and um our our uh co-star bud abbott playing casey the the hotel detective walks up and he's, he's like why are you why are you all here what's going on and they're like you don't know any how do you not know so this guy named amos strickland who's the number one criminal lawyer in the country is about to arrive um he is supposedly about to publish his memoirs um and being a criminal defense attorney those memoirs would include 
information about a lot of his cases, which would, the theory is, as we get in the film, compromise quite a few people he's represented in mm. criminal things. Um, so therefore, there's a, everyone has quite a bit of interest in him not publishing these memoirs, which we will see leads to a very quick demise for Mr. Amos Strickland. Um, he's checking in and um, uh, we have, they, they call the bellboy, uh, uh, Jeff, the, 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 the desk clerk calls the bellboy to, uh, to come get his bags. And here we have uh, Luke Costello entering the, uh, the, uh, the, the film as Freddie Phillips, the bellboy, um, possibly the clumsiest bellboy ever. He manages to <laughs> hit, him, hit him in the leg, break his glasses, uh, dump a bunch of golf clubs on it. Like, it's just, it's just, <laughs> the, the, the fun part of, of Costello's physical bits is that it's, they're not just single slapstick things. They're these things that go, these sequences that go on and on and on and get worse and worse and worse as, as he, yeah. the more he tries to fix what he, what he's messed up, the, the worse the situation gets. So it's, it's, yeah, you can imagine the uh, thing. Um, uh, the film is full of these great, little little dialogue bits and and you know you know prompts and returns and stuff and one of the one of the things that so so amos strickland gets really mad at him for doing all these things and he said i'll have your job for this and he and uh freddie's like aren't you a little old for this type of work <laughs> and and there are these things that like we've heard a million times but but this is this is like a lot of times this is the genesis of a, of a line like that you know you, yeah. you, you now you now you hear it reference now you hear it like kind of repeated and altered in so many times but i guarantee you comedy writers know all these lines these are oh these yeah are famous bits um and they're fast and and costello's delivery at this point is still just super fast and and really you know um the in in retaliation for for what what he's done um uh amos strickland has the uh the uh the the hotel manager whose name is melton but costello constantly calls him smelton in the in the film <laughs> um uh which is his running bit um uh he has freddie fired and uh in a moment of whatever freddie's like i'll get i'll get even for you for this i you know like I, every dog has his day <laughs> yeah. and, and i'll you know yeah right he barks <laughs> at him it's just one of costello's kind of main bits was, was yeah. roughing like a dog for some reason yeah. um he does it with the ladies uh fox stole in in the baggage room in abbott and costello meet frankenstein too he barks at bark barks at her fox um uh um, doesn't marty feldman do that in young frankenstein to the shawl that's like the the uh, he bites it or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he yeah. goes for it too yeah there's a there's a that's true that's funny it's i never bit. put that together um, okay we have successfully now referenced young frankenstein in this podcast it's so required in this episode so that's good yeah it's required right um uh so so freddie freddie is shuffled off he threatens um he threatens uh, Casey too. He's like, "Well, you know, you're part of this too. I'll, I'll get you too." And so like this this little tiny man just threatening everyone around him is. Yeah, he but turns he, on Casey up. all the time. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, they two they're at each other. They they reference later that they grew up together in like Minnesota Falls or so. I don't know where there's they some cousins there's or some something. Ring. I might be. Yeah, they're cousins wrong. or yeah, yeah, exactly something like that. And they don't they don't mention that till like almost the third act of the film. Right. Um, but you get the feeling that Casey probably got Freddie his job here, you know, because obviously he didn't get it on his Merit, merits or yeah. his, like a recommendation <laughs> or something. He's 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 just he's sarcastic and clumsy, which is just two things that a bellboy like it doesn't suit the job description. Yeah. At all. Not many tips, um, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, he's like it's like that meme you see of the dog getting chased around by the sheep or whatever in the thing. Like when you when you lied on your resume, right? Oh. <laughs> um uh so yeah, um 
uh, Betty shows up. Betty is who, a character I really like because she's the same name as my wife. Um, <laughs> Betty shows up. Uh, uh, she's the daughter of uh, Mr. Carlton, I think his name is, and Carlton owns the the hotel. So so she's the daughter of the owner of the hotel, but she obviously has a relationship with with young Jeff, the um, the the front desk manager, and he tells her she she wanted Amos Strickland to go talk to her father immediately, and Amos Strickland d- didn't want to do it, <clears throat> and he marched off, and she's. Sorry, upset about that, and she's obviously worried about something. Jeff tells her that uh, um, Freddie got fired, and she's like, "I'll I'll talk to my dad about that because she she's a kind soul and she whatever." Um, I feel like in another Abbott Costello movie, Jeff and Ma, uh, and Betty would have had like a a song together, and you know, <laughs> Alan Jones would have played him, and in you know, in earlier years or something like that. And by now, they they kind of you never see the Andrews sisters in the movies at this point in their career. Like they, they've dropped all the musical stuff because I think that was a carryover when Abbott and Costello had their radio show, they would have musical numbers oh. interspersed with their comedy bits. And I think that was sort of part of their public identity of what they did. And they carried that over into the films. And and I think at the time, like the Andrews sisters were very popular during world war two. Um, there was a three part female uh, vocalist group. They sang a lot of, patriotic songs they sang a lot of other types of songs i don't know if they were actually siblings or not i'm <laughs> definitely not an andrew's sister uh expert <laughs> um um yeah but um uh uh anyway what i kind of like about the movie is like 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 i said in another Abbott and Costello movie jeff and, and betty would have had a whole story and it would have been this whole thing and the movie would have stopped dead of it would have been nothing funny and they would have had this serious dramatic romantic thing and this movie has no time for that at all they're like okay <laughs> whatever there's this whole b story that just gets shoved to the side of like betty keeps acting suspiciously and jeff is like concerned about her or what's going on or something like that and and it's like the I don't know if they filmed that and the, they just like, nope, this is boring. Get ready. <laughs> yeah, maybe. If, it, if it's not funny or it doesn't have a dead body in it, we just don't have time for this. So, yeah. yeah, we got so Boris Karloff. We got a Yeah, or Boris Karloff. Right, right on. And Boris Karloff, Boris Karloff for once is not after someone's woman either. Like, oh, like yeah. That, if, <laughs> yeah. If, if this was the mid-30s, he would have been after Betty in a second. Are you kidding me? Because <clears throat> Jeff would have been like, why is, why is Boris Karloff trying to get my woman? Um, yeah. <laughs> He's, he doesn't seem to have those proclivities in in this film, and that's the um, case in the Mister Hyde one too, right? Where the the one lady is his ward. He does yeah. he does have he does he is into the young woman in that film, yeah, which is you know who's clearly forty years his junior or something like really. <laughs> yeah, it was so also funny. his ward, which is really icky or something. Yeah. Like, you know, he kind of like helped raise her, and now he's in love with her, which is like. I mean, unfortunately, we kind of see that same thing today. So it's not That's like that. true. Yeah. It's not like that went out of style. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, Freddie uh, ends up uh, back in his plain clothes, not in his bellboy outfit anymore. Uh, Freddie shows up into Amos Strickland's room to apologize to him, and he, he does. He's sort of insincere. He's like, "I'm sorry, I you know dropped that on your toes. I'm sorry, I broke your glasses and all this stuff." And by the way, would you mind maybe talking with the manager and getting me <laughs> yeah. my job? You know, he's, 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 he's really sincere, but he's also like angling to whatever. Um, and he talks to him for a little while before uh, Strickland slumps over and Freddie turns him over. And, you know, and, and all the things like this is a weird place to take a nap where he's just laying in the middle of the floor, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, he's just so dense, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the fun thing about the Kurt Costello places. Like, they're just, they're hilariously so innocent that it borders on like 
you can't believe someone's this dumb. Like it's just yeah, you really have impressive. to buy into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to just go with it. It's suspension of disbelief, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's worth um, it though. And then this is the moment where he realizes that Amos Strickland has been uh, shot in the chest. To point, that, I mean, there's a big bloody hole in his chest. It's actually really there's you know um, dead body uh, number one, and, right? <laughs> yes, many. dead body number one. So. He, realizes Amos Strickland is dead and and he's trying to because he's trying to revive him and and there's the funny bit where he's trying to take his pulse yeah. and he's accidentally taking his own pulse and he's like oh he doesn't sound very good you know, <laughs> know. <He's> really sick <laughs> yeah he's really sick oh my gosh um uh there's a bloody handkerchief there um that that he uses to 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 try and wave in his face and revive him and it doesn't work and he sticks it in his pocket which is a which is an important you know plot point where he and someone's trying to get it back too someone so someone is reaching from outside through the curtains and trying to with an umbrella and trying to snag the yeah. the thing back and he grabs it instead and until he realizes that yeah you know it's it, it's all it's all lost um uh and of course he gets very scared and he runs out of the room because <laughs> he realizes he's in a room with a dead boy yeah. um it's another thing that I think. And I think this is what works really good in Abnacal Sobe and Frankenstein. What they what they really sell really well is the innocence of Costello's character, um, uh, and then the innocence of the Frankenstein monster. Right? There's this there's this idea that those two are sort of like of a kind. They, yeah, they make this like connection with them, which is why spirits. they want. Yeah, exactly. Which is why they want his brain to be transported and transferred into the Frankenstein monsters because he, he's, uh, as as uh, Lenore Albert says in, in Frankenstein, he's he's so uh, innocent and pliable, right? She uses pliable, which is really yeah. <laughs> and so dumb and so you know the the idea is that if if you put his brain in the Frankenstein monster, he'll be and uh, he won't be the unmanageable brute as as Lugosi says that he was. Um, um, anyway. So, so the, but this is this idea. So she, he comes running into the lobby. Um, he tells, uh, Melton or Smelton <laughs> and, and, uh, they go with, uh, Jeff runs to see what's going on. He spots Betty running out of the room. So she's already been in the room and seen the body. Um, uh, we don't know why. Um, the rest of them come running. The rest of the guys come running up to the room and they, and they, they find that there he is, uh, dead. Um, there's, Smeldon's there's a, the the manager, right? Is that Smeldon's right? the manager. Yes. I kept wanting from his first appearance. I think it was like a side angle, and then I kept thinking uh, of it the whole time through. It was like I just wanted him to be Lionel Atwell, who had passed by this was, time. But yes, I was just looking at him, thinking like, if Lionel Atwell had still been alive and worked working for Universal, he probably would have played. Yeah. Uh, the, the guy playing him, who I'm not as familiar with, is is kind of doing a bit of a Lionel Atwell impersonation. It it's, seems it's that all. Way. It's all pompous and stocky, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then there's a dude who comes in for a scene uh, we haven't quite got to yet, though, that has a bit of a Peter Lorre vibe or might be doing an yeah. impression. But yeah, I started to yeah, imagine yeah. these like alternate castings that were entertaining myself. You could have you could have imagined, you know, if, if other things had worked out or something like that. Yeah, almost like a... a uh, what's the movie with Karloff, Vincent Price, and Peter Lorre in it? Uh, it's a trilogy oh. of terror. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I heard about that. Is that Usher? I haven't seen that one. I'm not, I'm not, I know those films. I've seen them all. I'm just, I just don't have the the memorization of those. There's only so much room in the brain. Later on Um, in their careers, right? Oh yeah, that's in the 60s, I think. Um, And they're much older. But um, but yeah, it could have been almost like that with, with Abbott and Costello would have been, would have been snazzy. Um, Betty comes in, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, Cran, I'm blank. So, excuse the rustle of paper, everybody. I'm, I can't keep uh, track of everybody's names. Lawrence Crandall, who's the owner of the hotel, um, 
uh, comes in and Betty comes in to see the body. Um, there, there's this initial where they're like, we need to keep this under, you know, quiet. We don't want the hotel desk guests to, to know. And the maid comes in and Costello instantly, and I'm just going to keep calling Costello. Sorry. That's, um, yeah. says like, don't tell anyone about the, or give us a blanket for the dead body. And she shrieks and runs away and stuff. So now everybody <laughs> knows. Um, um, Betty comes in and it's like, oh my gosh, what happened to him? Which alerts Jeff's suspicion because Jeff actually just a minute ago saw her come out of the room. So he knows that she knows what happened. So her feigning surprise uh, is suspicious. And I like this little red herring thing that goes through the film. It's not, they don't overplay it that much. Maybe they could have done more with it. Who knows? But I just don't think anyone's going to believe that this pretty young girl was the killer, though, which would have been great. But yeah, that would have been not so much different. That would have been a good turn. Um, uh, oh, the Melton thing. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, but so, so, uh, Freddie manages to get himself in trouble because he, it, you know, the door was locked and there was this whole thing or something where like, he's like, you know, you know, a bellboy could have gone in here and done this to him. A bellboy has, has keys to every room and nobody would notice him. I have a key to the room. I could have gone. And he basically realizes he's implicated himself in, 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 in the thing. And, and then we set up the, we refer back to the bit where he threatened him and everyone's like, I did hear you threaten him. I, you know, um, uh, so, um, uh, you know, instantly suspicion falls on him. Here we have our first, uh, view of Boris Karloff as, as the, the, uh, the Swami, uh, Turpin. Um, uh, just for a second, it's interesting to talk about Boris Karloff playing a East Indian character in, in this film being as he was of some East Indian, uh, heritage actually. Yeah. Um, which is, so it's, so it's interesting. He gets to, I don't want to say play to type, but, but you know, they get, he gets to take advantage of, of that little, little thing. Cause his, his father is, as I know, I know there's the competing stories. His, his father was supposedly sta- was stationed in, in, um, in India and had, fathered him either legitimately or not legitimately or what have you. I don't, I, I think some of that turns into speculation and some of that turns into gossip. So mm-hmm. I, I, I don't like to get it too into it. Anyway, he, he, he did have that heritage in his, in his genetics. Um, and, and so he gets to play this character who like for once it's not a, I guess my point is for once it's not an old film taking a Caucasian actor and painting them brown to, yeah, to, yeah. To, to do a role like this so that's that's thankful at least it's, yeah it's a little less yeah. it's a the, the cringe factor is reduced uh significantly i guess is my point yeah he, he still he, is playing yeah. a bit of a stereotype and uh you know with the, the turban and what uh, have you but, better than you know, fu manchu okay. for him too so it's, <laughs> you, it's it's definitely better than fu manchu there's what it was supposed it, to be i guess i read it was supposed to be it was written as a as a female role for madame yes. What, Switzer or something like that, and they kind of oh, okay. changed it around to Swami. I knew it was a female role. I didn't know that there was a name, uh, someone cast. Oh well, that's I, that might be the character name. Um, oh, the character uh, name, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Switzer. I don't know if I'm saying that right, and that's just like from yeah. IMDb or, or Wikipedia okay. or something. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I was kind of curious. Yeah, the the you know, I guess the thing was developed the, as a, uh, overall the the script Easy Does It as it was originally called was developed yes. for Bob Hope, and then they kind of switched it right. to, to this, and and then they switched the cat, you know, the character to match the casting of Karloff and put him in this very interesting outfit. <laughs> yeah, just I mean, I mean, it's and it's just this case of like even in the old 
days, you had this kind of pre-production purgatory that these films would just get put and turn around and change and another actor would come in or another team would come in and, and take over the studio would change and you know everything um uh yeah you know carlos wearing i mean it, it's kind of great because he gets to wear this, this tuxedo for a lot of the film um and then he gets to wear like these these longer coats and stuff and then he's always wearing this this turban on his head and he cuts such a great figure he's so tall and lean still and everything yeah. you know he's just um and he really is and Okay, everybody, three, two, one, spoilers. Um, it is, I think, one of classic film's best red herring moments. I mean, the idea that you would cast Boris Karloff in a film, put his name in the credits, and call him the killer. They, yeah. they actually say, Abner Costello meet the killer, Boris Karloff. Right. And and meanwhile, he it turns out he's not the bad guy of the film. <laughs> yeah. He's not a good guy. He's actually kind of a, a he's kind of like a slime ball. Yeah. <laughs> and he tries to he tries to murder. I guess he's a killer because he tries to kill uh, Costello later in the film. Oh so yeah, technically <laughs> that technically part is great. a killer. Um, but he's called a he's, the the cops. One of the, the the detective who comes in calls him a fake Swami. So he's I guess he's known. He's got a record. He's known to the cops as as this kind of charlatan type guy or you know hustler or whatever. Whatever he probably seems like one of those dudes who used to take advantage of widows, you know, and ha- let them talk to their dead husbands and pull all these uh, shenanigans and stuff. People like uh, someone who, like Harry Houdini, at one point would have debunked, you know, in his <laughs> career when he was going around uh, uh, busting up seances and showing the, the tricks they would do and take advantage of, of people's, uh, you know, grief or what have you uh, for money. So anyway, um, yeah, so we just, I mean, it's just a moment of Karloff, and he he comes in, and they tell him like Strickland's didn't killed, and he you know he just Karloff just does what he does, he's, which is not much, you know. He just he just is, and and exudes just such sinisterness with his eyes and stuff. Oh he's yeah, fantastic. Well, and he d- gets to do the, the like the Lugosi thing with his hand a little bit, and he's like yeah. quasi oh, yeah. hypnotizing no, no, just, Costello. He's like, he, you I don't noticed see that. And I wanted to talk with you about that. So when we get to that, remind me because I definitely. Oh yeah, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Um, uh. So so um yes uh Costello or Freddie is 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 definitely under suspicion and so he's going to be uh put uh, maybe this happens a little later but he's going to be put uh under protective watch so he's not allowed to leave the the hotel um so he's going to be what they call a guest of the state so you have this <laughs> bit where it's basically um it's like Joe Pesci in uh, *Lethal Weapon* two, yes, right? He's like he's like a witness for the thing, and, yes. and and Riggs and Berta have to like, whatever, and he's living it up, and he's spending like, yes, he's a guest of the state, but he's taking advantage of it. And he's and so in this film, uh, Freddie like he's getting like manicures and like scalp massages yeah. and and what have Tipping you. And everybody, just, I love yeah. that you made that poll because I started to because <laughs> I haven't seen too many Abbott and Costello movies, and so yeah. but I was just recognizing, you know, Costello's just unbelievable charisma and and, and comedic kind of persona, right. and seeing the echoes of it over the years, you know, and everybody from like. Yes. Jerry Lewis to Nathan Lane and and I did see at times like mm-hmm. I kind of got a Joe Pesci vibe from like mm-hmm. from yeah. that that era of his career of like the year he did Home Alone and Lethal Weapon too. So I yeah, and I Leo there's, gets there's, there's slightly I don't know where Pesci's from. I want to say more he's more New York or something. But but Costello was I think Yonkers or Queens or something. Um, uh, uh, Abbott was from Jersey. I know that. Um, and that's why he can't say Dracula. He says Dracula. 
if you if you <laughs> if you really listen now on on Blu-ray with really better sound to Abnakas Homie Frankenstein, he every time he says Dracula, he says Draculer. That's great. It's just the you know the nature of his Jersey accent, which I find hilarious. Um, uh, so this is where uh pausing to look at notes again um uh vincent renmo's character mike relia comes in uh really is the one i think he's the one you're talking about oh the peter laurie yeah of, of peter laurie yeah he definitely has a a slightly laurie-ish kind of whispery kind of um he's only got the one dialogue scene yeah i was <laughs> hoping to see more of him because <laughs> pretty soon he, he he's got more scenes than that he just doesn't have dialogue in them yeah. uh, <laughs> But uh, uh, he shows up and reports to Casey that that his gun is missing. Um, and he just wants to be clear that it's registered in his name. And if it shows up, he wants to say, like, you know, hey, this was stolen from me. And I, I heard, you know, Mr. Strickland's been shot. So, you know, just letting you guys know, because it seems likely. Um, uh, because so so that sets up when when. Um, Casey and and Freddie Phillips go back to Freddie's room and Freddie's at this point Freddie is packing. He's not he's not a protectee of the state anymore or whatever yet. Um when he leads him back uh Casey's going this whole bit being a detective. He's like, "Look, you're going to be fine because it's not like you have you have, you know, any kind of like evidence on you that connects you <laughs> to Strickland." And 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 at this point Freddie pulls out the bloody handkerchief. He realizes he took off of off of Strickland. Um and and he's like, and it's not like you have like the gun that killed him or anything like that. And at this point, Freddie pulls off the sheets and he realizes that 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 Mike Reilly's gun is somehow appeared in his bed. So now he's trying to like bundle up the, the covers and everything, and it drops out and and whatever. Um, you know, like it's not like Casey sort of spends the film not really believing that Freddie could have done it, and he and he says to the cops a few times like he's too dumb to yeah. <laughs> just to like. <laughs> he manages to, to denigrate him at the same time he's he's standing up for him of course because because the the whole bit of Lou Costello and Bud Abbott's whole kind of bit is you know Bud is the straight man Lou's the, the the clown and and a lot of it is built on the the slow burn type thing of 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 Abbott's characters whatever in whatever films getting more and more and more frustrated with costello's characters you know clumsiness and incompetence and idiocy and, and what have you <laughs> and 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 that's what it really like when they're really working um it's fun it is fun to watch uh when 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 abbott's on and 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 unfortunately abbott's not always on i, I you, even in this film there's moments where i do feel like he's struggling a tiny bit with maybe the dialogue or maybe just the pace of of, of filming or, or or what have you but um but they're really tight here. I mean, I mean, Barnes direction, I think, I think what they, what people do credit as the teamwork that these guys, they respected Barton, the director in a way they did not respect every director really. Mm. Um, and, and they liked, they liked him. They liked working with him and he knew how to get the performances out of them and, and, you know, cater to their vanity, I think, and some of their arrogance, uh, some of the areas, maybe at least on Costello's part, um, and and you know, cou- you know, couch things in a way that, that he got what he wanted out of them, and they didn't fall too behind schedule, I guess, in the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, depending on the whims. Because uh, there's all the stories of like random pie fights on the on the sets and stuff, and then Costello had a buddy, and you see him briefly in in the film. I can't remember his name. Who he was like their warm up guy, kind of. I think from back in the day. Hmm. 
again, I'm not an Emma Costello expert, but, but he shows up. He's the, he's the guy who, he, he has an appearance in, in Frankenstein too, where he's like, he's the, the guy with the towels in the changing room. He's like, I don't know anybody. What are you talking about? Whatever. Um, <laughs> super Brooklyn-y kind of accent guy. Um, uh, they had that guy and that guy would instigate problems and sometimes purposely mess up shots. There's the famous oh. one in Frankenstein where he comes, there, there, there's an outtake. You can, you can look it on, on YouTube, look up outtake, Abner Costomi, Frankenstein. And they're doing a bit on the stairs with, with Bella Lugosi. And this guy creeps up behind Bella Lugosi wearing a cape, kind of like stalking him. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he messes up the take and, and there's a moment where we're not sure if Bella turned around and was upset or turned around and thought it was hilarious. Um, uh, Bella Jr. says that that he actually Bella Senior did have a lot of fun working with these guys. So I don't know if that's you know whatever. Um, but but then another person says that he, he didn't. Bella showed up and he liked working. He liked getting the job done and being professional. And he didn't like the way the ruckus these guys kind of created as a as a distraction. Because I mean, yeah, they're they're twenty five films in. I guess they're bored at this point. They're just you know having fun and and they're so like I said they're so successful that Universal really has to deal with them. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, we all know too like how Bill Lugosi treats every movie, <laughs> you know. Yes. As right, though right. he's well, like <laughs> Yeah, it's serious. Yeah, no matter that's why he can say the silliest dialogue and and I mean this is this is the Ed Wood thing where he can yeah. say this ridiculous dialogue that's like badly written, sorry, and kind of repetitive and everything and and he sells it. He sells it because he he would believe it, I think. He could make himself believe these things and that's what you know. Um there we go. Um we have uh as as they're as they're basically preparing for you know uh, to what they're going to do, uh Casey goes to lay down, uh Freddie opens the door and hears um Here's uh, uh, Boris and he's doing, yeah, like you said, like he's doing, and I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's just doing what he would have thought was Swami stuff or, or, or is he sort of doing Lugosi a little yeah. bit? It seems like he's kind of, um, he's not double jointed and he's not Hungarian. That's right. What they say in Ed Wood. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, he, he doesn't quite have that, that, uh, uh, that flexibility and he doesn't have the, the, the fluidity of motion that, that Lugosi had with his hands. He could, you could write poetry with just his hands. It was great, but, um, yeah, not so much. Um, but he tells Freddie that Freddie didn't see him and, and, uh, and Freddie just so he doesn't remember that he didn't see him. <laughs> so he's, <laughs> Freddie shows that he's 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 very easily hypnotized, um, uh, and 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 that that plays in later. So we have um, uh, the appearance of uh, James Flavin as Inspector Wellman uh, showing up. So Inspector Wellman is is going to be in charge now of uh, Casey is called the cops uh, because of the murder. So so um, while he's just a hotel detective, the real police have shown up and inspector Wellman is going to be, um, on the case. And he's just like, I mean, he looks like he's just right out of a G man movie. He's this hard boiled, you know, gruff, big, tall, broad shouldered, you know, cop guy. And he's got like a, an assistant with them. That's, you know, just, just a, you know, they, they, they look like, it looks like these guys from a serious movie ended up in this, in this film and they play it straight, which is great. They play, he plays it like this tough, hard cop and he's just dealing with this lunatic little man <laughs> yeah who's who instantly goes into like don't beat me with a rubber hose oh don't, that don't, is my favorite and moment like and he's like i haven't even what are you doing i haven't touched you and he's like what is wrong with this person like, why does like, he keep like, saying he, beat him with a rubber he hose looks like, yeah he looks like he's in a serious film and he accidentally ended up in, a, in an Abbott and costello film and he's like i don't understand what's happening like the character and the 
the the the actor seemed to he that's right seemed yeah. to blend and he just sells it like how have I how has this happened um yeah I love um, that that's my favorite line delivery he's like yeah. don't he's like begging me don't hit me all this that he's got this yeah. series of things but then he goes don't hit me that with a rubber hose don't hit me yeah. that yeah. with a rubber hose something rubber about yeah, that that one two of the rubber hose thing and it then the guy saying like why does he keep saying rubber hose why does he keep talking about rubber hoses it's what's happening much. he's like oh he's he's messed in the head like, just, yeah. just Casey just writes him off I um, love that bit. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, and and Lou Costello and and this uh, the Flavin actor have this great rapport where like you know even even when at the end when he's sort of doing his Agatha Christie like here's what happened and this happened this happened and Costello's like stalking around and like interrupting him and he's like will you stop <laughs> like, just yeah. it's it's really good. He's a better straight man um, than uh, Abbott in these scenes. He he is though. He's he's because he's playing it dead straight. He's playing it like this is a, a regular murder mystery, and then somehow they cast the wrong actor in the thing, and there's yeah. just like this baboon running around uh, the whole thing the whole time. It's it is it's it's well done. Um, and again, like I said, it's shot really well too. Like there's great shadows and darkness and stuff. There's really atmospheric moments and stuff. You, they never really let you off the hook. So it I again I, I this is. Like I said, all these things just rocking, uh, uh, you know, all, all firing on all cylinders. Again, better than some of the latter ones, like Invisible Man, Hyde, Jekyll and Hyde, and, and Mummy, kind of, kind of worked. Yeah, um, see, I had thought when you when you first approached me about this one, f- mm-hmm. for some reason, I figured because it didn't have one of the monsters in it, that that maybe it was the last one, like uh, of the series. Yeah, so yeah, I was surprised think, yeah. that it was the only the second. Yeah, yeah, those get into the fifties. Uh, then, like some of the some of those films and stuff, and those, I mean, those are sort of the last kind of 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 the month of the kind of let's call it the gothic horror films mm, yeah that 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 universal did until they they sort of merged into the science fiction world where where you know where we get into obviously the creature from the black lagoon um uh uh trilogy and then and then they get into some of the more uh the, their science fiction films um which you know you ever know someday down the road we might get to those everybody Couple years, two thousand twenty-six. <laughs> I don't know at this rate. Who knows? We keep we keep coming up with more ones we need to talk about. Like, do we talk about the devil bat? We probably have to talk about the devil bat. So now, devil <laughs> yeah. bat's on the list. You know, so some of the monogram films are going to sneak into this and stuff. It's really funny. Um, but there's been so many great Blu-ray releases in the last few years, and then they'll treat even the most minor film to the whole like you know yeah. film historian commentary. I just dug deep yeah. into black friday which i'd never seen and now i have a whole right. new appreciation for and so this uh the borgo pass is like well timed to i don't know i this new i think we're wave. living in a great i well i think scream factory came yeah. out and showed that you can release some of these really offbeat obscure films from a from a big franchise and and there's a fan base that will still you know well, well. First of all, there's people who will sit around and talk about them for two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these maniacs. Um, but but there's a fan base that will, that will collect them too. And I think that's just. I think to me that's part of the horror mentality, and that's part of why I love making horror films. Is that I, I don't feel like the romantic comedies have the same collector mania that horror does. Like as a genre, the, the fans of horror really do need to have a library. Yeah, of, of, uh, uh, themselves where it's something in our DNA or something. Um, as as can be evidenced by you know what's behind you, yep, <laughs> right now, and what's in front of me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, something I missed at, at some point before this, all this. They tried to go and plant Mike Relia's gun back in his room because 
Freddie is sitting on this very incriminating bit of evidence. Um, and, and Casey's complicit in this. Casey, in his role as the hotel detective, is mainly just trying to help Freddie, which is funny because he's not very, really a very good hotel detective. He's kind of biased, but, you know, it, it's their family. Is there such a thing as a hotel detective? I keep wondering this every there time you say There used to be, I think. Really? Okay. I, yeah, no, no. I mean, it was. Yeah, it used to be a whole thing. Uh, uh, W.C. Fields has a... Oh, no, that's the bank dick. I'm sorry. He's a bank detective in that one. Um, yeah, hotels used to have this kind of thing. And I oh. think... I, I don't exactly know what the primary idea was. I do think um, there was a time in the United States where unmarried persons were, it, it was culturally inappropriate for an unmarried couple to check into a hotel together. Aha. Uh, 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 <laughs> this was this was more frowned upon in, 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 in an era. And I think... Uh, maybe they would try to, you know, check in as Mr. and Mrs. Smith or or what have you and stuff. I think hotel detectives sometimes had a responsibility to sort of, uh, because because a hotel's reputation would be tarnished. Oh, by, yeah. By things like that. Be, le, so-called legitimate people or whatever, upscale people, whatever the, the, the clientele they were going for, I don't think would stay and spend money in a hotel where there were liaisons happening. Um, I see. Uh, yes. So, so when, when wealthy, well-to-do people, let's say, uh, wanted to go have a hookup with, <laughs> with, with, with someone they weren't married with, um, they tended to go to like private places and, you know, get, get houses and cabins and things like that. Like, uh, is someone like, I don't know, like William Randolph Hearst or somebody like that <laughs> would have, you know, been able to do something like that. Um, and then that's why there were roadhouses. Roadhouses, I think, were a place where, which we would call motel now, yeah. um, were a place where you could take your honey if you were not married and legally, whatever, and, and check in and stuff. Um, I also think uh, in the days of let poor security, like, you know, people would check in. A, to, and people also lived in hotels, too. That's the other thing you got to think about is quite a few people in the United States in, in urban areas would actually live in hotels permanently. That was their actual abode. Hmm. Um, and, and I think they would pay like a monthly rent more like an apartment now. Um, and so I think the hotel detective's job was to sort of keep the peace, make sure no one was going into rooms they weren't supposed to be doing, make sure no one was stealing anything and, and whatnot, and, and generally keep up the, the, the reputation of the place so oh, they could keep yeah. attracting quality clientele. Yeah, thank you. I sorry to sidetrack because I was okay. I thought it was a joke. Like I thought the attorney was yeah. making fun of him. He's like, oh, then then that would make you the hotel detective, yeah. <laughs> so, right? Okay, okay. But uh, but I think that's why they put him in a, which is really brilliant. I think they put him in a derby cap, and no one else in the film was wearing a derby cap. So yeah. so so Casey stands out, and and it makes him look like he's he's. You're not going to confuse him with one, any of the police detectives, right. but you're not going to confuse him with a guest either because the guests are wearing hats because they're not working. He's right. technically working. I yes. Think. Yeah, that's as Lionel Atwood says like, in Son of Frankenstein. He's like, you forget, madam, I have my hat on, <laughs> you know? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> this, this is hat culture, which is another thing that is completely gone, <laughs> yeah. you know, away. Like the only time guys would remove their hats was when they would go into churches or, or public buildings. And there was this whole, yeah, the whole the whole bit. Um, it was also like an upper and lower class thing where like lower class people wore hats that were different from upper class people and, and you know, um, yeah, we, we 
I think the 60s just got rid of that. <laughs> the 50s to some degree, I think. But yeah, the, the, the hats went out for a while. And, and no matter how hard we try, we just can't get the fedora to come back in style. Um, it's a good look. I wish I wish I could take part. Not every dude can put pin pulled off. I I'm I, I, I always feel like I'm just a little too short and and, and whatever to, to make a hat look work. So who knows? Could do um, yes. Uh, 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 yeah. So so um, uh, Freddie is is held as guest of the state. There's this whole bit funny bit where he's getting like manicured and and hot towels and stuff, and he's um. And he's ordering like hilarious room service stuff, like like caviar with a side of bologna, yeah. and, and and whatnot. So it's 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 funny because he's he's ordering what he thinks is fancy food, and then his own type of comfort food at the same time. So there's all these like, it's it's great writing. It's just it's caviar with bologna just cracks me up. Um, <laughs> um into the room now comes uh. Angela Gordon, which is uh, Lenore Albert's uh, uh, character, um, and again we know her from from um, uh, Frank Evan Costomi Frankenstein, and and she always she is always playing someone who's trying to get something out of Lou Costello's character or or whatever, and she's she's trying to her, her method is always to try to sort of seduce him and 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 you know trick him and use her wiles on him <laughs> so so you constantly have this like beautiful stunning woman who's who's you know for all intents and purposes like like coming on to <laughs> Luke Costello so there's just a just as a visual thing you're just like this is hilarious this is <laughs> yeah. really funny. Meanwhile, Luke Costello apparently was very popular with with not late with not like he played around. I'm just saying, like like I think women thought Luke oh, Costello yeah. was. And when you see him all all put together, like yeah, he's he's not a skinny guy, but yeah, you know he's he's a charming looking gentleman. You know, yeah, he's, you know. make him laugh, make him breakfast. That's it. <laughs> there you go. And at this point, he's quite a wealthy man too. So he's you know oh, yeah. Luke Costello. I mean, yeah, he's he's quite successful. I can't. They they list the. You know, sometimes you read like the amounts of money they were making per movie, and and how much these movies themselves were actually making. And if you transfer it into today's money, it doesn't quite equate because the box office is different now than it used to be. But um, just just one instance, I think it was it Hold That Ghost or or something. It was one of their early movies. This one theater ended up staying open around the clock. Oh my because god! Because the, the, the line, the lines to get in were so long that they had to accommodate them. So they they added like a third shift, and people were going to see an Abbott and Costello movie at like through two thirty in the morning just so they could wow. get in and see it. So that's that's an example of just how popular, at least in their prime era, the, these guys were. They were big. They were like, you know, Star Wars or whatever. They're they were like you know whatever. They they, they were they were a phenomenon. Let's say, yeah. um, maybe not Star Wars, but you know anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Lenora Bear was born uh, Eleanor Maria Leisner uh, to an Austrian general. Actually, uh, she studied acting in and drama in Vienna. Um, she was she married a Jewish man, which uh, necessitated them to leave Europe once uh, once Hitler came to power and the Auschwitz I think is what it's called uh, came in, which was was to, going to deprive Jewish persons of of not enable them to own property and you know further stripping their rights. It's it's the beginning of the Holocaust. Um, uh, so they came to America. She she was in New York for a while. Uh, supposedly paid her way out to uh, California and and ended up you know being in a lot of films. I don't think she ever became like a star star. I think she might have been a couple years past what Hollywood considered you know the prime age for that. By the time she got here, um, 
but she did pretty well. Uh, ended up getting divorced, remarried, had a, you know, she's one of those people who like just had a pretty good life. Like, like I, um, Scott and I used to talk about, we don't try and get into too much the, you know, people's, the gossip side of old Hollywood and stuff. Cause there's plenty of people talking about that. Um, but it's nice when you, when you run into an actor and actress, there's so many bad stories, I guess is what I'm trying to say that it's fun when you get into someone's story and you're like, Oh, they came to Hollywood and they made a couple films and then left and had a happy life after that. And there you yeah. Go. Like, yeah. There's, there's no, there's no tragic third act. There's no, you know, scandal or anything like that. Yeah. She just she came in and did a few months. Th- these are the films she is most well known for. I think though, is, is these, these, uh, and not, not at the time, not in time of her career, but, um, you know, kind of like a lot of films, like more recent films, I guess, like Blade Runner or John Carpenter is the thing like the, but well, these films were kind of popular at the time, and then they went into kind of a period of not being as well regard or not not well known anymore. And really, the advent of television is what uh, gave not only the Universal monster movies, but 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 um, uh, the Abbott Costello franchise, like kind of a second, you know, introduced them to a new generation, and for one reason or the other, you know, a couple of these films have, have really become part of our, our pop culture. And so now it is, yeah. Like I was saying what she's kind of best known for, but she's great. Isn't she great? She's got that accent. Oh, yeah, she just, yeah. she comes off, you know, um, whatever, um, she's playing a type in here, but, um, so this, this actually is my David, this is actually my favorite bit almost in the movie is, um, they've got, they've got the police report on her in the other room, uh, Casey and the detectives. And, it turns out she's uh, she's wanted for poisoning her her husband or something. So she's a poisoner. And um, Lou has ordered, Freddie has ordered champagne for the room and Casey passed it in the cart and you realize they're in the room together and he's like, she's going to poison him. Mm-hmm. Um, or the thing is, so she, she first, she starts off trying to get him, oh, she tricks him into like signing a confession. Yeah. And it's a whole bit of like how like, if they catch the thing, then he'll have a confession signed, but he's got to sign it to witness. So she basically tricks Lou into signing it, writing a confession and signing it, which I don't think, I don't think that goes anywhere, but, um, um, but then it's uncertain. I don't know if she's really trying to poison him or not or something like that, but she doesn't get a chance because he doesn't want to drink it. Cause it's, again, it's this, this kind of childlike character he played that, that, you know, doesn't drink alcohol. Um, uh, this idea, this thirty-five-year-old man playing like someone who's—he keeps playing like like he's like a little boy, kind of. It's the yeah. the kind of charm of it, but it's also it comes off kind of weird. But anyway, um, uh, the joke being that he doesn't even take a sip of champagne, but all the guys run into the room and they think he's they 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 get the 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 uh the doctor guy with them, and they start giving him all this stuff. I, I, to try and make him upchuck, right? Right. Um, <laughs> is the idea. So he throws up the poison. That's that's sort of a, a antidote of of kind that that I guess they used to do. Um, and so Casey keeps grabbing. He grabs him. He throws him. In, takes him to the bathroom, and he keeps coming out and grabbing more bottles of the most <laughs> awful stuff like you can mustard and, and milk giving him and, yeah, <laughs> mustard and milk uh flour and water and Ugh. oil and lime and so and it just gets worse and worse and worse and he keeps running in and and he's force feeding this stuff down down freddie's throat to try and get him to throw up but meanwhile freddie hasn't had anything to drink he keeps so, trying to, to to tell him like no no and then he could, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah he keeps coming out he's like wait 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 he can't get a word in they're so panicked and they are honestly trying to save his life and he can't he can't 
get a chance to tell them he hasn't had anything to drink. So the part I really love is that he comes out at the end and and he's crying and he's just, <laughs> he's so violated and he doesn't understand what what just happened and why his friend would do this to him. It was just, the, it's like, I'm sorry, it's like the experience has been just so horrendous for him that we laugh at it, that we think it's hilarious. The, yeah, that's how it goes for him. That's kind of <laughs> mm-hmm. one of his big sticks. You enjoy his suffering. Um, He's so good at uh, it. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, in and around this era, uh, Wellman has all these the hotel guests um, and the management in a room and he's interrogating them. And it's revealed that everybody got a uh, all these these guests, these these sort of uh, sinister characters, including Boris Karloff's character, um, each got a telegram, uh, supposedly from uh, Strickland, the guy who was killed, the the you know uh, attorney guy, um, saying that he was going to publish uh, his memoirs and it it was going to affect them and that they should come to this hotel at this time uh, and 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 have a conversation about this. So there's a reason there are all these. It, it it's like that it's like uh it's like John Wick or somewhere where all the assassins are are met up somewhere you know from different <laughs> walks of life and they're all from a different country or they're all or it's like uh, the born the born identity or what have you um it it's just all these unsavory characters from all these different walks of life and then they're all bad people and they've all come together um under this pretense that that you know they're going to hopefully be able to talk Strickland out of doing this or talk him out of including them in some because again this. Him publishing the memoirs and talking about all their cases that he successfully got them off for various crimes they committed, it's not going to be good for them. It's going to, you know, you know, <laughs> damage their their ability to operate. If not, if nothing else, um, uh, Lenore Albert's character says she's she's actually engaged to be married, and if it comes up that uh, she she was, um, she she was uh, arrested and accused of killing her husband, but, but Strickland got her off. So that's why she, but, but I guess her current fiance does not know that. So that would obviously <laughs> complicate her engagement. Yeah, It would, right. If you found oh, out your yeah. spouse had been, had been arrested, but then, you know, released for killing their, their, their former spouse. She's um, a poisoner. Yeah. yeah. She's poison, poisoning spouses. Yeah. Make you think twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, we get now to, they're like, uh, so 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 after this, all the the let's call them the bad guys were all sitting around playing cards, and the, there's this, this discussion like we're going to have to do something about this Freddie Phillips guy, um, uh, and uh, and Boris Karloff's character Tauper says like I'll take care of this, and so then we have what what I I think it's the the most famous scene in the film, and just because obviously it's it's Karloff and and. Uh, uh, Costello working together, um, like it's a you know two hander for this whole scene. He he shows up in Freddie's room at night. Freddie's asleep, and and Boris Karloff just appears in his room. Which there you go, um, <laughs> and he's he's gonna he hypnotizes him. He tells him to wake up, and he's gonna get uh, Freddie to kill himself. So we have this whole scene that's played for laughs where Boris Karloff is trying to get Luke Costello's character to commit suicide, which yeah. <laughs> you know different times and different eras and i guess we were able to laugh at things in a different way like it 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 plays a little differently now than it i'm sure it did in 1949 but um but but you can still really you can't enjoy it it's it's such just 
dark humor. It's really, um, he's got a noose tied to the ceiling and he tries to get Freddy to put the noose around his neck and, 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 and hang himself. And Freddy's so heavy that it just pulls the, the whole <laughs> thing out of the, out of the ceiling, which is just this whole bit. Um, uh, um, he asks him if he has a gun and he goes to the, 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 uh, this is what I talked about, like the, the slow burn thing where like the Swami character is just getting more and more frustrated because he keeps all these different ways he tries to get Freddie Phillips to kill himself and Freddie's just <laughs> so dense. That yeah, and it's he like he is following gun. directions, but it just doesn't go the way. <laughs> right, right, right. And, he, and he, get, he gets like an old fly gun. Like they when he used to spray for flies, it was like a pump gun kind of thing. And he, he has that. And he's like, no, 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 not that. Um, <laughs> um and and my, I think my favorite line in the film where he's like, how would you like to die, Freddy? And he says, old age. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love too um, when he says like, uh, <laughs> you'll commit suicide tonight if it's the last thing you do. It's the last <laughs> thing you do. Isn't that great? It's, and that, that's a Karloff line. It's funny. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. He does and a great And I think, job I mean, I, I, I tried, I did, I looked around, I did some Googling, by, by, by which I mean did, I did some Googling. Uh to try and see if there was any accounts of Karloff talking about working with Costello, especially oh, yeah. in this, in, in, in this scene and, and in, um, in, or in, uh, Jekyll and Hyde. And, and I just don't think they just weren't doing a lot of EPK type, you know, extra interview stuff and promotion for these films. I think they just, these films just sold themselves and they came out so fast that it was just a assembly line. Um, uh, the way they would have done interviews for in the thirties with like, we, we talk about like, like the Raven and stuff, they would have done whole little bits with interviews with Lugosi or something. Um, uh, cause I would have really been interested to see how, cause I, you know, there's the famous story about, uh, 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 Costello cracking up Glenn strange on the set of, of there's another outtake again on YouTube, Abner Costello, me Frankenstein, just look up, uh, Lou Costello, Glenn strange. And it's the bit where he's in the dungeon and he actually sits down on top of the, the monster and he's trying to bang, he bangs his, he's trying to bang his hand and he bangs his own hand. And there's this whole bit. There's a, there's an outtake where he's doing it and Glenn Strange just starts, as the, the monster just starts cracking up. And he's like, I can't, I can't handle it. It's just killing me. <laughs> um, which is really, it's funny. Um, I, like I say, I just don't know. I don't know if Karloff enjoyed working with, with Costello. I don't know if this scene was really fun to film or not fun to film for him or if he was just cashing a paycheck or or what. I don't make any suppositions. I'm just, you know, hey. Um, but it seems like, again, it's this, he he's doing kind of the Lugosi thing where he's playing this absolutely straight, um, this character. Like, it's like the Grinch almost, right? Where he's yeah. really coming at it like like a serious thespian and and... And not playing it for laughs, he's letting, uh, he's sort of letting Costello get all the laughs, all the funny bits. But he has this one or two lines where he's like, <laughs> says with a straight face, like, you're going to kill yourself if it's the last <laughs> thing you do. Um, uh, and then, and then my other one I love, he's like, he's like, even under hypnosis, the will of an idiot clings to life. Yes. The way he <laughs> says that is yeah, such a yeah, delight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. He's just really, like, he's, He's digging into it. Like I said, he's going for it too. And then, and this is like, again, this, this doesn't just work perfectly automatically. Like you got to find the right tone. And this is something I think Barton was really good at doing. It was like, like how intense do you make the horror stuff versus how funny you make the, 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 the comedy stuff. The, the two things have to balance or, or, or it's just, it's either not going to be funny or if it's, or it's going to be, it's, it's just going to come off clunky. And here we just have a case of it. Just, just, Oh yeah, like I said, working just great. Um, 
it even even when it gets dark, when it turns into the mirror gag, where yeah. they're standing in front of a mirror and he hands custom, he hands Freddie a knife, and he's like, "Would you stab the man in the mirror?" And from they're standing in front, you know, face to face, and from the Swami's perspective, he sees freddie in the mirror and he says would you stab the guy in the mirror and when it cuts around to freddie this is so complicated when it cuts down to freddie because of the parallax freddie sees the swami in the mirror because of his perspective and so when he says will you kill the man in the mirror freddie's like yeah okay and he starts trying to kill boris karloff with a knife he's like, he's like Get back, you him, yeah. you know? and then he yeah, runs away karloff runs, he runs away, away. He, yeah he really ch- freddie chases him away with a knife and then and then casey comes running in saying like, you know, what's going on? And and now Freddie sees Casey in the mirror and, and he's like, oh, the man in the mirror. And he starts trying to stab Casey. <laughs> yeah. just like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to stab me? He's like, I don't know. Um, it's really, uh, you know, and there, he, he comes out, of, he snaps him out of the, the hypnosis, I guess. And um, he goes to try and figure out what's going on. And Costello does have this funny bit. It's like, like, how did I get all like? Is the, the the ceiling picture is ruined? He's like, I must have, been, I must have been sleepwalking. I must have slip sleep, sleepwalked up onto the ceiling. And he's like, I don't know how I did. I must have must have gone up the wall. Yeah, I love watching him try to figure it out. Like he's like yeah, using yeah. his hands, be like, well, I must have been over there. And, and this this is the little bit of I I doubt that's I doubt that's the script. I I'll bet that's I bet that's and because the guys were famous for you know running off script and, and improving and. Yeah, it's like what I think with any improving, sometimes that works, and sometimes it, sometimes it's funny, but maybe it doesn't serve the needs of the film, you know, whatever. But that's one bit where I think, I think Costello was just going off and doing a thing, and honestly, it's 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 so offhand, it's really funny. Um, uh, so uh, this is we're <laughs> now we're getting into the whole body bit. Yeah, um, Peter Lorre comes back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the very. <laughs> the very um this this is going to go on for a whole bit um and i don't know if we need to chart i mean beat by beat it's madness yeah (laughs) it is madness. i don't know if i can even keep it straight because it gets really complicated yeah Uh, i can't keep track of who's where the bodies are so i don't think i'm gonna like bore everybody with i mean just it, obviously, if you're listening to this, you've probably watched the film, and if not, if you haven't watched in a while, watch the film because it it is one of their better body swap bits They're, they they do the body swap bit in quite a few f- uh, uh films and some of their detective stuff i think there's a there's a bit of it in the mummy i think um i, I can't remember um uh anyway they find mike really's body uh they know it's incriminating if they find it's a hanging in in freddie phillips's closet and he's like well we can't have this so we're gonna have to like you know, get rid of it. So they bring like a trolley cart and they dump really his body in it and they try and go and, and dump it in, in the uh, thing on the way they, they run into the detective and, and Costello is now to avoid suspicion. They've decided to dress <laughs> Freddie in, in a maid's costume yeah. and he, he steals the fringe off of a lamp and, and gives himself a little, little bangs and stuff. And he does the falsetto thing and stuff. And you have this funny drag bit that, that, <laughs> that occupies sort of this section of this film. Um, Cause he gets stuck in the character is the problem. <laughs> like he, he can't once, once he's been seen as the character, he kind of has to keep going with it. So that, that in itself is really funny. So they, they try and dump Relia, uh, really fault, really his body. They don't do a good job. Really his body falls back into the, 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 the thing and they take it back. They go back to Costello's room and now they find there's a, there's another character paper, paper rustling again. Hang on. It's, it's, um, what's his name? Secretary. Uh, 
don't have it. That's okay. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm watching and it hasn't quite gotten to that person yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Amos Strickland had had a personal assistant that, that uh, you know, was we find out is sort of embroiled in all this thing kind of thing. And they find his personal assistant guy. Once they get back to their room, uh, uh, Freddie finds the, the, the assistant guy dead and hanging in his closet too. So <laughs> they go to get the cart again and find out really his body's back in the cart, which they don't understand how that happened. And they have to put, uh, the assistant guys, Milton, I think I can't, something like that. Um, yeah, back in the, back in the, uh, the uh, cart. So now they've got two bodies to get rid of. Um, they have this, Freddie has this idea to take him down to the card room downstairs in the lobby where nobody is. And, and they think that's a good idea. So he's pushing it down there and he's dressed as a thing. And there's a night manager guy now, not Jeff. It's this other guy. And this is old creepier guy. Who, he, um, creepy is right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have the actor's name, but he, he's in a lot of stuff. You, 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 you recognize his, his voice, if nothing else. Yeah. He's distinct. Um, yeah. So he, he shows up and he doesn't know he obviously doesn't recognize Freddie in in his uh costume as a maid and he starts getting fresh with him quite a bit um and so you have this whole there's a lot of double entendres and there's a lot of like you know fresh stuff and everything and it's it it still it holds up it plays really well it's it's so much like you know it's a precursor to some like it hot and bosom buddies tootsie you know you, you, this this whole type of a bit you know follows through in comedy for quite a bit of time and stuff it's it's interesting um uh, so cr- i'm watching him like hug, hug. Yeah. And, and it does like i i fall into it too i, I was gonna yeah. say hug her because i'm like for a while after a while like freddie becomes yeah. the maid to me as well yeah, <laughs> yeah like, he's doing this hilariously bad i mean what really to me what really makes it funny is that he he's so obviously not a woman yeah like, that it's yeah. really great the the the, the, the I mean, he just looks like himself with yeah. in a woman in women's clothing. It's not even; it doesn't sell at all. And he's, and he's like, trying to do this hilarious as whole obviously setup. not a woman as like all of these bodies are dead that they keep like mistaking to be alive. Yes, to I be wonder. Alive. Yeah, yeah. Do you it, think that it's that, the same suspension? Do you think that that comes it's from? I hadn't seen Meet Frankenstein in a while, but isn't the conceit there that they they think the monsters are wax figures at first, and so they sort of yes. accept this like dead like state, and but it's almost like they they fell in love with that dynamic of like uh him being oblivious of of Costello being oblivious to something yeah, yeah. and in that that case or, like it made more sense that he would misunderstand yeah. and now they just yeah. have to lean into it but something about that absurdity is kind of funnier i don't know it's it, it, yeah 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 exactly it 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 stretches away from reality and you just kind of have to lean into it um the the other bit i think they they at some point they figured out the writers figured out is, was it, it's fun when, when, when Lou Costello knows something and no one else, no one believes him. Oh yeah. Like yeah. that's fun to watch when he knows the monsters are real and no one believes him. And that, that pervades through, uh, meet Frankenstein quite a bit or in the mummy and everything where he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. They're here. And everyone's like, no, 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 you're, you're just a <laughs> silly little man. And he's like, okay, no, one believes um, you know, uh, and I think that appealed to kids a lot because kids, a lot of times, are trying to communicate something and no one believes them. And they're like, no, you don't, because they're kids. Right. But they're like, no, you don't understand. Like, I know I'm a kid, but this is a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other bit, I think that they, the flip side of that, that they think is funny is, is, is Costello trying to hide and bud to some degree, trying to hide things from 
people too, <laughs> trying to yeah. trying to sneak and get away with things. And and I think the fun of it is that they're they're obviously not good at it, right? Like because so, so so you feel like they're they're going to get caught because they're not really that clever. Like it's characters, they're just they're, they're not they're bad at it. Um, and so you kind of just can't keep believing they're getting away. And and here we have a great scene with that with the, where. They've snuck the two dead bodies into the card room, and they've sat them up at the t- at the card table, and they're playing bridge. So, so Freddie and Casey are sitting there playing bridge with these two dead dead men, and the the night manager comes in and cannot. You're right for the life of him figure out that these are, these guys are dead. They're not talking. They're not moving. One of them slumps over in the middle of it. And you're like, <laughs> how is this? So it keeps you kind of like tense, right? And yeah. and it makes you like it's it's the nervous laughter. You're just like, how is this? <laughs> Happening. And he's again, so. This is what I talk about. Like, it's so dark. It's so. Funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's creepy if you think about that. Yeah. The. Right. Yeah. They're manipulating these corpses for like forty-five yeah. minutes you, in the movie. <laughs> you were gonna say it works because the guy's so focused on. Yeah, he's just Costello. laser focused on, yeah, on, on this amazing. girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that makes it work. Um, so there's all these jokes that, in the scene that have to do with playing bridge about who's the dummy. Um, yeah. And and who has a dead hand and what and it's all like, um, you know, it's all I, I don't know. My mom used to play bridge, but I don't know how you play bridge. So I, I you know, I, th- I think at the time bridge was quite a more popular card game, and and you know, um, it was it was you know, <laughs> it, it it land the jokes landed funny. There's some joke about how Costello's bit bit bet something, and and you see his hand, and it's just a random assortment of cards of every different number and. And and said, and it's not even like in no card game would that be a winning hand, obviously, because right. they they're not really they're not really playing the game. They're just you know, trying to, and he keeps getting nervous and dropping the, the cards. I just I just watched. He accidentally like got a card stuck in his mouth, and it's just <laughs> um. So finally, out of desperation, he grabs the the night clerk guy and he, and kind of a headlock. He's like, okay, let's let's go out here. Okay, let's go out here with me. You know, with his <laughs> high, high pitch voice. Um, and and um to try and get him out of there at least. And he gets him out there and the guy's, he's like, well, you know, what do you want? You know, what do you want? And, and the nightclub's like, well, how about a little smack? And <laughs> it's, he's like, there's the other thing Costello really did was like, there'd be moments where he just, someone set him up and he just turned and look at the audience. Yeah. <laughs> and there's just a moment and it's like, Oh, he's been waiting for this. Like he, he, he breaks the fourth wall and it was great. And what's I think great is that it cuts to the inside and you just hear the, the smack. Yeah, that is better. <laughs> and, he come, and he comes in. It's really the timing's right. And this is what I'm talking about. Like on this film, especially like so many of the bits are just working great. And I think that's, that's these guys doing, doing their, their job. But I do think it's also Barton, uh, the director really just understanding them and knowing how to construct and build these scenes and build the tension and build all, oh, you know, Oh my gosh. Um, and the scene just, it, and the writing, cause this, this scene keeps going. Cause now the detectives are downstairs and they're, <laughs> they want to come in the room. Um, Casey tries to stall him cause the two dead bodies are in there. And now, now, now their whole hope of getting the bodies down there and getting away and not being implicated is ruined because now they're actually there with the body. So the whole thing's backfired and the whole, you know, <laughs> um, uh, the guy's finally, the detectives finally pushed through. Freddie's moved the bodies. He's, he's now put him in an elevator. And now we have a whole bit where they're going to lead him back into, they want to go back up to his room and the bodies are in the elevator. Guys, I don't know. They end up back in the room somehow and the bodies are in the room and the, <laughs> there's a, oh, oh, they find, they find the one guy's room and there's a blood stain on the carpet. 
Um, Jeff is curious about it. So I'm just starting to scroll through this thing because this is starting to get Byzantine, right? Um, yeah. And it just gets like bodies. <laughs> there's just like bodies moved around here and there it's and detectives and it, so it, it gets a little convoluted. If, <laughs> if you do really break it down, it all makes perfect sense. It, you can follow the geography of where all the bodies go and how they get from one place to another and all the bit. Um, and then, you know, they drop out of the story for just a little bit and then they come back into it and you have all this stuff. And and I have watched the movie quite a few times, and I I think it, it honestly makes perfect sense. But in watching it, it's 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 confusing enough that you're just like I'm lost. I don't know what's happening, and now you're just enjoying the the hilarity. Um, the 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 detective uh, Inspector Wellman sort of says like, look, you know, I don't think Freddie probably killed Amos Strickland. Um, because so, they think some of these some of these people are missing now. They're we know they're dead, but the cops just think they're missing. And with the thing about the telegram, they realize everybody has a motive, and all these other people are are actually they actually are criminals. Freddie's not a criminal. Freddie's just a dumb bellhop. All these <laughs> other guys are actually <laughs> criminals. So so the, the inspectors. And that's why the other thing I like about the inspectors. He's not. He's actually a good detective. He's not dumb, and he's not a Keystone cop, and he's not. You know, he's actually like capable in his job, yeah. which so often in these films that the 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 police are incapable um so but he thinks he's going to give freddie a chance to clear his name uh freddie has the the bloody handkerchief they know that but they don't think he did it they're gonna they're gonna say like okay you go and you try and sell that bloody handkerchief to to all these disreputable characters one of them it belongs to and they think it'll implicate them um so so they give Freddie a chance to clear his name, but but Freddie has to take the chance. He has to go like deal with all these these bad people, and so you know he starts trying to sell this handkerchief to Boris Karloff, and he's like for only five thousand dollars, which is I don't know what <laughs> no is that like fifty five thousand dollars that in today's money or something? It's got to be something ridiculous, right? Yeah. Um, and and the Swami character doesn't want any part of it. Um, is this is um I there's a it's out in the courtyard during the day in the film, and I. I want to point out it's the only scene in the whole film that takes place, I think, during the day. Oh the yeah, entire film practically. If it doesn't play, take place during the during the nighttime, it's inside. So there's a weird moment where suddenly we we actually do go outside for just a second or two. But except for that, it's a very dark, claustrophobic set film. I think it's really kind of neat. Um, there's a little kid dressed as a Native American shooting arrows that they think for a minute is someone trying to kill him. And I don't, we don't see that kid again. I don't know. So apparently there are other guests at the hotel. They're not somehow involved, caught up in this like yeah, caper just, scene that we just don't sort of see. Because really vacation. we've just focused on the the dozen or so characters that are, you know, involved in, in what's happening here. Um, there's this whole bit where like Casey starts getting very excited that people are trying to kill yeah, uh, uh, Freddie, because it means that like they're close to catching the killers. But Freddie's like, but but they they keep trying to kill me. Yeah. Like like someone locks him. They, he goes to the steam room and someone locks him into the steam room, and and turns up the steam. And you have this whole bit where where he almost like like parboils to death. Um, and you know he he finally you know they finally come and they rescue him and and he drinks a whole you know a. Uh, uh, keg of water down or something there's a yeah i like that gag there um uh but but casey keeps going like this is so fantastic people are trying to kill you and freddie's like yeah, <laughs> yeah but people are trying to kill me <laughs> yes yeah. it's not really working great um uh he for his part freddie has decided 
to take some precautions. So when they go up back up to his room, um, he has booby trapped every entrance to the room. He's got an ent- a giant uh, steamer chest hanging from the ceiling above his door that if you open the door without undoing the noose thing, it'll fall on you. There's no explanation to how he managed to do this because it's, it's, it's like... It's like the size of a Volkswagen. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hanging from his ceiling, which I, I think is just there's no explanation. Um uh he's got a, a like a, a trick thing with a with a, a hammer, like a like a sledgehammer in, in his window that if you try and get through the window it comes down. And he's showing Casey all these things, and then someone starts shooting at them from outside. And this and Casey's like, This is great, someone's trying to you know <laughs> I don't like this. I love that oh, beat man. too about the the traps, because <laughs> I think maybe Casey says like, What are these? And he's like, Booby traps. What for? They're booby. For boobs. <laughs> for boobs, why. yeah. For boobs. The way he says that cracks me up. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> like 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 it's so obvious. How did you have to ask that question? Yeah, yeah. he comes right back at him. Yeah, they're they're timing. So I love cool. that because you get that rhythm that, that they followed the, earlier, I think it was with the 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 one actress where he's like talking about the murder and the culprit and the, and, and they do that oh, almost yeah, yeah. like the who's on first type Who, of who's the, who's the culprit, who's <laughs> yeah. the murder. Yeah, yeah. The the <laughs> word the word game stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, that, that that always just worked for them. Um <laughs> Uh, uh, so, so Casey's like, you know, calls the, the inspectors. He's like, Hey, you got to get up here. Someone's trying to kill Freddie, you know, check this out. Freddie goes back to his room to lie down and he finds the, the, um, Milton guy's body in his bed. Of course, the cops show up and find not only that body, but then they find Mike, Mike Relia's body, uh, in his room. And, and again, this is this moment where they're like, we don't really think you're capable of doing this, but how, how is it all these bodies keep ending up in your room? What's going on? Um, and then, um, is it, is it this, that, that, uh, Crawford or whoever the, the owner of the hotel comes in and admits like, okay, I, I put those bodies in his room. They were in my room and, and I ended up putting them in his room to try and avoid the thing. So there, there's this moment where, uh, the, that sort of secondary plot where like be, because okay sorry guys um the 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 depth of whatever i'm getting into on this abbott and Costello movies, <laughs> it's cracking myself up honestly um uh crawford the owner of the hotel crawford or crawdad checking the reference sorry guys crandall sorry crandall the the owner of crandall's you know ca- cavern ho- hotel um he was represented by Amos Strickland as well. So we find out that the owner of the hotel also um, not has a motive, but he's kind of embroiled in this and that his daughter, Betty, um, her main thing has been to try to protect her father. And she explains that to Jeff at some point that, um, you know, there's a reason that this is the reason I was doing it. And I'm just trying to protect my dad. But, but, but Crandall turns out is, is another red herring. The movie's filled with these and Crandall's not, um, uh, responsible for this, but he did move bodies just to try to uh, get them out of the room. There's no explanation why he keeps moving them every, every yeah, every time. There's one in the bathtub, and every time Freddie goes in there, and then he goes to get Casey, he brings them back, and by then, you know, Crandall has moved that body into the the closet. Then he goes in the closet. There's no explanation why he does that, except that it's it's funny to watch. So there we go. Yeah, um, they had to have reverse engineered that from the scripting thing. They're like, well, how do we explain all this? It's like, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we want to have a scene where this happens, and then you know, um, there's a lot of that body swap thing again. In uh, I think that happens in the Mummy too. There's a whole lot of like, there's a body. Where'd the body go? What's going on? Um, kind of thing. Uh, with uh, 
uh, I can't remember the guy's name with the Egyptologist character. Um, uh, the police finally show up again and they do find the bodies eventually in, in Freddie's room. Um, and you know, they're like, okay, this is it. You know, you're obviously caught up in this somehow and we are going to arrest you. We're going to do this thing. And just at that moment, a voice comes up through Freddie's, like the heater register thing. Like the, yeah, exactly. Um, basically through like your AC vent or something, uh, now, uh, and it, it sounds, it, it's, it's neatly done because it sounds vaguely like Karloff's voice. Yeah, I mistook it for that the first time I watched it. It sounds like it's Karloff's voice, yeah. yeah. And I think it's actually somebody... I think they either got someone to imitate Karloff's voice, they they found... Or, or the, the, the character who ends up being the villain... Um, I'd have to go back and listen. Does, does he sound like Karloff? Because maybe he's trying to like almost do it. So they do a good job of like making it seem like it could be Karloff, it could be something else. Um but I love this. So it's like Freddie Phillips, Freddie Phillips, you know, yeah. and yours and like, like bring the handkerchief to the, the caverns tonight at eight o'clock or midnight or 10 or I can't remember what they say. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, yeah, or, or you'll die, you know, that, mm-hmm. that it's this ultimatum. So, uh, the cops have heard this now. So they're like, okay, well, this, there's, this is probably who we're really looking for. And the best way to f- catch him is to actually have Freddie go there to the thing and, and be bait, right? Yeah. And then we'll go with him and and we'll um, we'll catch the killer. So this sets up the, the film's finale, which takes place in the caverns in... Um, and I've, I've, I've looked up as much as I can and I think they, they shot... They did not shoot in a cavern. They, they, they just, as, as pure universal, you know, the, the skills of the art department there, they built these caverns for the scene and some of it's optical and I think some of it's like glass painting and stuff. Um, but seriously, like, like it's beautiful looking. Yeah. It's just the neatest looking. Yeah. There's like stalactites, stalactites, there's steam rising up. There's all sorts of like, it's a beautiful set. It's incredible for a comedy, right? Yeah. It's striking for sure. It's uh, yeah. yeah. It looks like something that could have been in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Like the ice yeah. caves. and Yeah. 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 Or, or, or yeah. Or house of house of Frankenstein or any one of these and stuff. It's just lit beautifully. And it's great. So, so here we have, you know, our hapless hero here, you know, Costa, <laughs> Freddie Phillips is, who's not up to this task, but you know, it turns out, Hey, he's, he's responsible for it. Um, the caves are amazing. The fake animals he keeps encountering in the caves are not <laughs> the quite <bear>. yeah. <laughs> as amazing. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a comedy, and it's 1949. I don't know what to tell you, but but like, there's a fake owl whose eyes glow, yeah. and there's a tortoise who obviously is on a string, and then there's he, there's a whole bit where he's lighting candles, and somebody switches one of his candles for a, a stick of dynamite, yeah. and he can't figure out. He throws it away, and it and explodes, and then this this guy in a bear suit comes out because <laughs> it's 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 not a bad suit, but it's like obviously a dude wearing. It's just like waddling around around. with his hands raised, like, (laughs) you know, and, and it's this whole bit and stuff. And it doesn't like, I wish it kind of, uh, I wish it repeated some more or I I wish, I wish the bear showed up again or something. That would be fun. Yeah. I wish you had a routine with the Um, bear. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, it's, I feel like, is it the bear from the Wolfman just like shows up again? Like, like the one (laughs) he got cut out of the story of the Wolfman. Like, all right, here I am. I might not know this. Wait. Oh yeah. No, in, in the Wolfman, uh, um, at the, in the one carnival scene, Larry Talbot's supposed to fight a bear. Oh, yes. The, yes there's a bear right. that gets loose and he fights him. And they put the bear into the 2010 one. The, okay. The, the, okay. The, the, yeah. uh, you know, the more recent one with Benicio del Toro, they, they put that bear back in there. Um, 
and they they cut it out and you know in in the episode scott and i talked about that film you know we kind of hypothesized like was it just one too many animals he's fighting with he just fought a wolf now he's got to fight a bear or something well yeah and in that movie like they have him like when he gets bit it it is clear isn't it actually like cheney's dog that does it but it's like an actual dog so yeah. it's like uh, yeah. probably it's not like a wolf man. So it's right. yeah. It's a dog. yeah. So now, now if he gets bit by a bear, you're like, are, is he going to become a werebear? What's going and on? And how or, preposterous that might have looked. Yeah, com- yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if if the, if if it showed up and it was the suit and 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 uh, everyone was like, yeah, no, I don't think or something. Or if Cheney was like, no, I don't know. Yeah, we, I don't. Cheney's probably somebody, like, I'll uh, wrestle a real bear. <laughs> yeah, you, I think Cheney would have wrestled a real bear. No, no, no doubt. Um, that'd be a good. I, I, I need to make a list of questions to ask Greg Mack next time I have him on the oh, show. Oh yes, because that would be he would be the guy to ask that too. He would probably know. Um, yeah. uh, so while this is all happening, um, the detectives and and Casey are trying to follow uh, Freddie, and a big gate comes down and blocks them off, so they have to go around. And then in in the one thing that weirdly bugs me in the film, I guess, like Casey Bud Abbott's character like slips on a rock and twists his ankle and can't go on any further. So so Bud Abbott gets sort of like removed from the finale of the film. Yeah, he really checks out right quick. He's like, ah, I twisted my ankle. You guys go yep, on without gotta, me. He's in go. mortal peril. But who, yeah, it'll be fine. It, <laughs> I, I don't. Weird. I don't. Yeah, and I don't have any understanding of what that was. If that's was that in the script. Was that something that came up as a solution to a problem on the day? Was there a, was there a day that that Abbott, Bud Abbott couldn't make it to set or something, and then they went back and filmed that little bit yeah. to explain why he's not there? Or, I mean, he he does go back to the hotel to lay down. So so we don't see Abbott, we don't see the Casey character when the villain shows up. So there's a moment oh, where where oh, Costello, yeah. you know, Freddie thinks that that it could be Casey. So 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 Luke Costello thinks that the villain could actually be Bud Abbott, which would have been the greatest twist on the thing that, that Bud Abbott is trying to kill Luke Costello. The whole twist time. his ankle, and then it's think, the twist I mean, in the movie. That, now you're onto something here. <laughs> that would have been so dark. That would have been incredible. Um, and then they just go on and do like the next film after that. Like, Oh, never mind. Um, <laughs> but, but obviously it turns out that's not the case and stuff, but it does. I think, I think that was the idea is it does um, set up the possibility that, that, that Casey is, is a, is a suspect as well. I us. bet you're right. Um, yeah. In the moment, it seems so odd because of the way that he just like stops and it just seems, <laughs> yeah. it just seems suddenly really, really random. You know, like, yeah. like what happened? Like, was he just, Sorry, was he drunk? Was he what right, happened? Yeah, like, you know, like like it, it makes you. It's so, it's so last minute and seemingly random that it makes you think that maybe again something went wrong and it was a solution to solve a problem on the day, not not you know not in the script. It wasn't a foregone plan. So I don't know. Um, I like your version better that it was like uh, yet another po- suspect possibility. Yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and, and find find a good you know, justifiable reason for it to have happened. That's, I like that way better. <laughs> I, I want, I want that to hold up. Um, uh, Freddie gets to this point right around the scene where we have the turtle and the, the bear and this whole bit. Uh, Freddie gets to the point where, where he gets to what's called the bottomless pit, which we see the bottom. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think it's a problem on the film's part. I think, I think that was just like, you know, 
bad marketing on the caverns part within the film, right? They were just trying to sell the bottomless pit. Meanwhile, there's a bottom to it. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's, there's not really the flea circus, right? It's just, it's just little motorized things. And we imagine we see the fleas. Um, <laughs> but right around here is where we see the actual killer. And he shows up and he's, as we've sort of said before, and if you've seen the film, you, you know what I'm talking about. He's wearing basically like fisherman's foul weather gear. Uh, which is like a, a rubberized like poncho and a hat with a big brim. But then he's wearing what I can only describe as what looks vaguely like a Ku Klux Klan hood underneath it. Like it's not pointy, but it's like, it's got, it's this piece of rubber with just the eye holes cut out yeah. and, and rubber gloves. Every bit of him is covered by, by rubber kind of. And, I don't know if it was yellow or gray or green on the in real life. I don't. We can't tell because it's black and white. But as a villain in a comedy movie, he's actually really unsettling looking. That's like the I, word I, I was thinking. Him, yeah, <laughs> I've when I was little, I found him a little scary. Like oh it's yeah, just really. There's just a hint of something S and M y to him, which is weird because of the rubber and stuff. But it's also just he does it. How do I say this? It evokes things that we know are dangerous and really wrong and scary like in just the right way yeah um, um but it also looks like to me it looks like a disguise somebody put together like yeah kind it's of like out of hastily necessity. yeah you could just yes, throw yeah, it exactly. together it could be anybody yeah and that makes it a little scarier than if he was wearing some elaborate costume it's almost just like like what what a robber would wear or something like just you know impromptu kind of kind of disguise yeah um, yeah and to me that that's actually yeah a little more disturbing and stuff so I just um, rewatched uh, Nightbreed the Clive Barker second film yeah and David mm-hmm. Cronenberg spoilers plays the yes. villain in that movie uh, Bun- Bunhole Head or whatever yeah and that like yeah. I had stopped watching it at a certain point where I was going back and forth between that and this movie and there was like a, a vague resemblance of the you know uh, that's interesting yeah yeah I'm sure this wasn't the point of reference but to me it was like wow right. that's almost as creepy as the other you know it's it, it's this idea of someone who made their own mask yeah and it's less a, it's it, to some degree it's almost less a disguise than identity and maybe that's what's disturbing about this one too a little bit is because I know in that film, like the killer identifies with who's a psychologist. Spoilers um, identifies with the character he becomes when he puts the mask on. Right, yeah. he's like a different kind of character. So yeah, um, uh, interesting. Uh, we get to this bottomless pit scene, uh, and the the poor tortoise slides down the thing and off. <laughs> so so we we get the idea of like this this very slick ramp thing um, that we have a little sequence in um, as as Costello is being stalked by by rubber man <laughs> he starts talking to him uh, right he and, and uh, yeah and again yeah. in that karloff sounding voice at this point i still thought it was supposed to be karloff and just it figured sounds an awful lot like it was a yeah, stunt yeah, person like but, yeah. yeah yeah um yeah and i don't know who who plays the uh the the character itself that's interesting i never thought about that i mean i'm sure it's somebody i don't know if it's a stunt man or or who they or if it's the actor that eventually we realize is is the villain um is the guy um but uh, he moves very well, so I don't think it's Karloff because Karloff, by at this point, is just a little too aged for that kind of. He, well, Karloff's like sixty-two or something like that at yeah. this point. You know, it's, it's not, not. It's definitely not. <laughs> the, he Karloff isn't pulling Lou Costello up by a rope. <laughs> yeah, no, no, nor few is, people are. <laughs> nor is this stuntman. I believe. I think there was. I think there was some film trickery involved in that because I think that at least 
200 pound, 220 pound <laughs> Luke Costello is not getting lifted up by anybody on a rope. It um, looks good though. Yeah. Seeing it here in front of me and it's like the, the scale and the height of it, like they really sell it. Yeah. No, it really, it really sells it. the danger of it. Right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what I like is it's not only, and, and they even sort of make a funny reference. It's like, it's not only like you could fall from one of these things, but there's also all these spiky stalactites sticking up from the, from the floor. Yeah. These very sharp, like, needle-like things and and there's even a joke where costello almost misses one he's like that could have been bad like, <laughs> yeah. that, yeah. that could have been that could have been serious that's what he said <laughs> um uh uh so so you know the plan is sort of falling apart uh, the killer's plan is falling apart because um costello's now out of reach and he in a way he has to save he has to save freddie in order to get the the map or the uh the uh the the handkerchief that he wants um the handkerchief is a bit of a thin motivation kind of like a uh uh you know uh what do we call it in the when it's is it the MacGuffin? the MacGuffin, yeah exactly um i blanked um as a MacGuffin, it's a little it's a little light but it, it all works um we finally end up with with him pulling freddy up but he gets stuck in this little hole because he's too big around um <laughs> quitting the poo <laughs> This is this is obviously also this film is from the era before any kind of idea of, of fat shaming existed. So there are quite a f- within the entirety of their canon. There's quite a few references and jokes made at the expense of Lou Costello's weight, um, which you know it's one of those things. Like it, had he not been the the size he was, I mean the size he was was what we identified with with audiences identify with Luke Costello. If Luke Costello had suddenly lost a bunch of weight and become skinny, I don't know what that would have done to their careers. I mean, it, the, or, or if, or if Badabad had suddenly gained a lot of weight. I mean, their entire, their entire bit is, it, it, it centers on the, the silhouette, right? The, yeah, the tall skinny the, guy. And well, that it's, Laurel it's, and it's Hardy it's thing. Laurel, yeah. Laurel and Hardy or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, even, even back to, uh, Fatty Arbuckle and, uh, and, uh, Buster Keen, right? It's yeah. all, it, it, it's, it's a classic sort of trope of, vaudeville comedy that these guys continued you know on through the, yeah. the thing even even sort of being crosby and, and um and bob hope sort of tried to pull that off even though bob hope was not really big it was this idea of like the more slender man and the less whatever measure and, yeah. and they they do it in um and i'm gonna blank on all the names but in horror island um even they, they play that off a little bit too you know universal even before they got to abbott and costello were still tr- figuring out this idea and and um i was saying horror island i meant uh mummy's hand i haven't uh, seen that the one adventure yet. guys yeah are are um there's the one sort of more athletic guy and there's the guy the other guy who's like a little more on the stocky side yeah. and less adventurous maybe or um, like uh jay and silent bob even like in present day bob. like you have exactly, that exact dynamic like if you want to bring it up yeah and they were in and, they and, started to put them in uh the scream movies toward towards the end there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> they, they, they show a... up in everything too <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's first for one reason or another this is just part of our comedic history and culture and it kind of keeps progressing and yeah and kevin smith who I'm a huge fan of, like brought them back and and created these two foils, this kind of Rosencrantz and Gilderstern of the grunge <laughs> age, age, right? right? Yeah. Um, these these foils, these fools that play against and so again, this this goes Rosencrantz and Gilderstern, I believe we're both supposed to be not neither are supposed to be large or overweight. But my point being these the two it, it's and you know, I'll I'll even go into like Beavis and Butthead. It's yeah. it's 
it's it's this idea of like the idiot and the guy who who makes the idiot look like an idiot you know <laughs> yeah, like it's great yeah like yeah it's the guy the it's dumb and dumber right it's, right. it's every it's all this stuff like that <laughs> like so again that. it's you know we just keep it's just like dracula it's like all these different iterations of dracula all these different iterations of of the frankenstein monster of werewolves of what have you a jack and hyde um we keep sort of t- trying new takes on the same thing because something worked and it's this, this calculus of just trying to sort of not capitalize on that, but like, you know, you know, find a fresh way to do it. I yeah. guess. And then, you know, you yeah. got an effective formula. You want to try to replicate it while not being like super obvious yes. or repetitive, but yeah. 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 And, and sometimes it works and sometimes you end, end up with uh, the two guys from Be- uh, Bella goes, he meets a Brooklyn gorilla. <laughs> I gotta which, see that so it's, it's just who, a title who are to just, me still. yeah uh, shamelessly shamelessly ripping off uh, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis to the point where where the one guy got sued by Jerry oh, Lewis oh wow he was oh. like like you he looks like Jerry Lewis and he's imitating Jerry Lewis really so they're like dude that's that's ex- you're just pretending to be me you can't do this so anyway <laughs> um, anyway oh, uh, Freddie is stuck in this hole uh, the, the killer knocks loose a, a whole bit of bit of a stream or like a, a whatever and, and water's gushing in and the two detectives arrive just in time to pull him out his hat's like literally floating on the surface of the water and they managed to get uh him out um there is a decent amount of stunt work done uh right around here by lou costello's stunt guy who i don't have his name handy but he he i we talked about him quite a bit in um jekyll and, uh, jekyll and hyde um i i believe it's the same uh, guy who was physically very similar to Lou Costello, but like lighter weight. So I think they padded him, but he was of the same stature. So, and, and you, there's a photo of them standing side by side and they honestly look kind of similar. So hmm. it, he was a great asset to this because there, there were, there's a lot of physical comedy that Lou Costello for a bigger guy was absolutely able to do, but there was a lot of stuff that was not safe or, you know, required someone with expertise and that guy could, could always uh, do that kind of stuff. Um, uh, they, uh, whenever they had to double Bud Abbott, it usually was not quite as convincing. And there's a few, <laughs> there's a few scenes in some of the movies where you're like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's definitely not Bud Abbott jumping from rooftop to rooftop in Jekyll and Hyde. Um, <laughs> they, uh, we're winding down here, guys. They, they get back to the room and they find Casey has been knocked unconscious by one of, uh, 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 Phil- Freddie's booby traps. Um, <laughs> And Freddie launches this whole thing about how he's he believes Casey's the the killer now, and it all he started listening all these things, and he knows, and all these other people start showing up in the room, and he's talking about how I caught the killer. It was Casey the whole time. Casey's trying to kill him, <laughs> yeah. and Casey's just getting Casey, who's been abusing him the entire time, starts getting nervous. Yeah. He's like, "Hey, hey, hey!" And then this is when he starts saying, "Like, like, hey, you know what?" I, I Remember back when, you know, you were cousins. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's now where it came Now in. he's yeah. playing the cousin card. Right. Yeah, after, after after really just like hurling insult after insult at him this entire time. Um, and here's the bit where uh, the, the, the Inspector Wellman, the head detective, starts listing, you know, here's what happened. And he kind of recounts the thing. And it's this, again, it's like this ag- the Agatha Christie moment where, where, where uh, Hercule Poirot, Poirot, bleh, Hercule Poirot, um, uh, you know, is is explaining how he, it's not only who the killer is, but how he solved the mystery. Yeah, it lays um, it all out. <laughs> yeah. And and Freddie is just following the inspector around and repeating what he says and 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 trying to take credit for things, trying to beat him with a punch and then being wrong the whole time. And, <laughs> and he's a foot shorter than the guy playing him. And, 
it's 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 just good bit um as everyone watches so so we really have this you know the end of what's basically a whodunit you know uh, yeah. uh, of a movie um not unlike knives out yeah i did get that vibe yeah <laughs> glass onion or something. yeah i mean this again we're talking about it. it's just it's the same kind of line being quoted over and over right um uh and and the whole time Phil, freddie is in, in, implicating casey and everything um uh but but what through a source of thing what they what they finally figure out is that is that um the the only person who could have done it or some, somehow it's 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 smelton actually it's so so the actual killer is is the manager of the hotel who was like in cahoots with strickland's assistant the one who died um and 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 it was it was him and the assistant guy who sent all the telegrams to get all the people to the place because they were the ones who were going to kill Strickland, but they wanted all the other killers there to so the police would just be confused and not have an alibi and, and not understand what's happening. So that's that turns out to be the 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 who done it of the thing. Um, and that's and where I, I really wanted to be time. Lionel Atwell. I was like, oh, that'd have been such yeah. a he he would have yeah, made a meal yeah, of that. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and the guy, so the guy, you know, once, once discovered pulls a gun and, and, you know, he's going to, he's going to, you know, get away and he's going to drove it and he backs away to the window, which is when one of Freddie's uh, booby traps kicks <laughs> off and knocks him down. And, uh, and so Freddie now not only is vindicated, but he's also a hero because it was his, it was his bit that, uh, did it. And oh, there's a funny bit where the, the big mallet comes down and knocks the guy in the head and he stumbles a little bit oh, yeah. and, and Freddie pulls out the little like a judge's gavel right. and just yeah. finishes him Bops off. Him. Just like bashes him in the head with it. Which, yeah. is, which is really like assault at that point. But okay. Yeah, that probably um, would hurt worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Um, it's, it's funny. And everyone, you know, everyone's like, oh, congratulations, Freddie. And Freddie gets his job back from the... Mr. Carlton, the man, the owner of the hotel, and you know, hey, you saved the day. Everything, everything's working out great. And Freddie, uh, the, even even the inspector Wellman's like, good job, Freddie. You know, we're whatever. And, and Freddie leads him to a closet and forgets that that he's got. <laughs> yeah. It's the classic. It's the boxing glove on the extending arm thing, yeah. like like you see in like every comedy ever. <laughs> and he forgets that that's there. And 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 when he opens the door, that comes out and knocks out the inspector. So just as soon as Freddie thought he he. Uh, was ahead of the game. Now he's in trouble again. So, um, wow. So that's, that's two hours worth of <laughs> having to custom meet the killer force card. But Hey, David, thank you so much. I know I, I went on and on and on about this one. Cause it is like sort of a, a touchstone for me, but, but yeah, I that's appreciate right. you, you. I'm getting, here for a riff with you about this. No, that was really fun. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, yeah, the more, the more times I watch it, the more I appreciate the little things of it. And, 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 you know, like I said, having not every, not every film of this, this franchise, you know, landed on all fours the way this one does. And, and it's really fun. I just wish, um, I have it as a DVD, you, you download it online. Yeah. I got it from Amazon, but I guess that's part of a Blu-ray package, but like a, you know, a big one where you gotta get a bunch of movies and it's expensive oh, okay. and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's like a big box set of a lot of Abner Costello stuff, which, you know, being again, like I said, more of a fan of their uh, monster meet the monster series yeah, rather than like Buck Privates and you know 
Aloha Swings or whatever other movie, you know, the <laughs> wagon, painted, painted red wagon, whatever, all their other Westerns and all the different, you know, because they, they sort of did, they sort of did like each genre. They almost sort of like bounced around uh. and did Abner Costello, you know, almost every, there's a, you know, there's Abner Costello go to Mars. There's a science fiction one, which is fun, kind of, um, <laughs> where they actually get shot, shot off in a rocket ship, you know, and, um, there's kind of one for everyone, and but I just sort of tend to like these, and so so I just have this on a on a regular DVD version that has a couple of their other films. This was kind of hard to find. This Meet the Killer Broskov. I had this on VHS. This is part of the oh. the uh, the the Silver Top series as well. I got oh cool. Top. I think it's um, currently but, on Tubi for free uh, oh, cool. with commercials. Yeah, I I wonder if that big blue gray block box set there would be uh, like a a a, a, a commentary i track think there is yeah because i considered it because i like those that, yeah but, but yeah. i was like ah uh, yeah. not yet let me see if i how much i like it right first. and i like it all the more now from having gotten to go through oh, it with cool. you because like honestly i got i'm not great with plot i kind of tune out sometimes especially <laughs> if there's so much going on and right, uh, right. there was so much i think that i missed even with two viewings that you there's, when you were explaining it, I was like, yeah. "Oh man, I didn't even catch that." So that makes sense. Thank you. Yeah. No, because because that's a no, but that's one of the great things about a film like this too, especially this film. So you can't just sit back and just enjoy it, and you don't have to really track with it. It's not like it's not like homework. You know, you can just yeah. kind of like <laughs> yeah. unless unless you're doing a podcast on it, and then suddenly yes, it becomes homework. Yeah, oh, so there, caviar. There are, there are notes involved, mostly baloney. <laughs> <laughs> so this would be the the. Oh, maybe the second of two uh, universal horror franchise, loosely termed uh, films that reference baloney. The first being Black Cat with Bela Lugosi. Oh, he says supernatural, perhaps, and baloney, perhaps not. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a mini baloney franchise going on within within the universal horror. We'll get um, some some merch going with <laughs> Borgo Pass. I should, we should. I, I should add that to the Borgo Pass store. It's um, a great stuff the way, there right guys, now. We, I, I think I think this is one of the first episodes we've we've recorded since we did launch the Redbubble Borgo Pass merch store. You can go to our our Instagram page and write on the um, which is Borgo Pass Horror Podcast on Instagram and right in the top section you'll see a uh, a link tree thing you can click on and it'll take you right to our Borgo Pass store. We have a lot of artwork from the show. We have the the graphics for the show available on any kind of item you could want from a t shirt to sweatshirts to coasters to uh duffel bags almost almost anything you can imagine if you can't find it there reach out to us and we might be able to hook you up but a lot of the graphics for different episodes of the show that i create uh we have available there not one for this one yet but you never know there could be an abon costello meet the killer graphic because where else are you going to find an abon costello meet the killer t-shirt right that's right doesn't get a lot of love we could we could <laughs> provide a service you never know so th- <laughs> thanks for mentioning that yeah I, I wanted to i wanted to plug the store so there you go um and all the proceeds to that do help us pay for the overhead of the show and you know our hosting and 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 costs like that so um we appreciate uh everybody who's already bought some stuff um that's it this is abon costello meet the killer boris karloff thanks uh thanks david for for joining me on this this was cool thank you for having me i had a blast yeah, can't wait till till next time. We'll, we'll we'll come up with a good one for we'll 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 have a more core franchise film for you to talk about next time. Maybe <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we, we let you do Jekyll and Hyde, which a is a big series film, yeah. and and then we'll, we made you do this one. So was, we'll, we'll we'll see what the next one is. You never know. <laughs> right. it, it won't it won't be sh- the octopus. I promise. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to find out what victim I want to have for that one. Uh, 
<laughs> but uh, this is great. Uh, again, thanks so much. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the episode. We appreciate it. Uh, we will see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode. But the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Ahrens. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.